Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 3, The Graphic Design and Layout Panel. Recorded at Metatopia 2012 by Jason Pitt. Presented by Hal Mangold, Nathan Pauletta, and Ben Morgan. D221, the graphic design layout roundtable presented by Hal Mangold, Nathan Pauletta, Ben Morgan. Discuss the best ways to make the game look exciting, fun, easily readable with some of the sharpest eyes in the field. Two words, Microsoft Publisher. <laughs> I don't know, I prefer paint. Paint. Harvard graphics. Paint's text handling isn't quite so good, but... Well, no, you just, you just color graphics. it. You just color in each letter. <laughs> By the way, I'm Hal Mangold. I work for uh, Green Road Publishing and the Thomas Government Press, and I do freelance graphic design as well. Yay, someone who's in charge of the panel. <laughs> Thank you very much for stepping up. Sure. <laughs> Nathan, um, justify I'm, your existence. I'm Nathan Pilota. Uh I'm a, a self-publisher, uh, independent designer, self-publisher. Uh, I also publish one other game by, by another friend of mine. <clears throat> um, and I do all the graphic design and layout for my own work, uh, as well as some freelance um, graphic design and layout work, uh, both in RPGs and other stuff. Um, and I also... Uh, I guess in, in real life, uh, I have an art and design uh, background and work in that field as well. I'm Ben Morgan. I work for Chapter 13 Press. I, I kind of stumbled into all of this. I'm the, uh, the de facto art and, and layout guy for everything that they do right now. Um, so we just released Spooky Beans last year as a PDF, and this month finally came out in print. Uh, we'll be up on IPR shortly. Um, and just last night, and the night before, I ran playtests for our next game in the family, a story game about traditional values, uh, which is basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the RPG. Um, outside of gaming, I do um, not so much graphic design, but um, a bit of web design and um, technical writing for the UN. Uh, I work for the basically the UN's IT department um, in a little group called the Business Process Group, which means that we, I, we write up all the procedures for everything that the help desk does and stuff like that. Um, so I actually, I don't know if you guys had specific ideas for what to talk about. I actually kind of wanted to... in charge, excellent. I'm in charge. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask uh, why people were at the panel so that we could have like a productive discussion about what... Because there's like, this, it's a broad topic. Uh, we could talk about kind of theory stuff. We could talk about nuts and bolts stuff. Um, so I kind of wanted to know what, what, the, what the populace was, was interested in. What do you want from us? Yeah. What? Other than Bloodsport, which yeah. that will be, uh, that'll the, fill the second hour. Yeah. The, the tagline for alt sysadmin recovery was down, not across. <laughs> Back in the days um, of news groups. So yeah, I don't know. Is anyone working on something and they're trying? They want to like kind of, in, kind of get some kind of like tips and tricks kind of stuff or kind of advice kind of stuff or. I mean the basics, like what you know, what tools you should have, that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I don't know where. Overview of good design what principles. That, yeah, <clears throat> I kind of just recently started uh, doing my first, you know, board game design layout. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, web design stuff for, for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just weird to, like, sit down and be like, okay, I don't actually know, you know, I'm familiar with, like, design stuff, basically, but, like, what separates board game design? What should I be going okay. for? You know, there's certain certain things you got to do for a website that, you know, you know what yeah. works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And starting on a board game, you're kind of, like, from square one, not really sure what, what makes a good board game. 
Okay, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm actually happy to talk about some board game specific printed material kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Are there any other topics? Because I don't know anything about board games. Yeah. yeah. Okay, like kind of a list of topics. Other than, you know, we'll common through. sense stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I'm self-taught small publisher who's trying to start doing layout and whatnot for my product soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, at this point, I have not yet purchased anything. Okay. So... So it's some kind of, it, like, go over kind of what's out there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, assu like, I'm assuming in design, quite frankly, mm -hmm. there's very little else. Uh, Works still out there. <laughs> Scribus is free. So is Scribus. I've not used Your Scribus. mileage may vary on that one. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, so we'll talk it's about kind of tools yeah. and getting yeah, into I, it? Okay. Yeah. So from my standpoint, I, I'm not going to be doing any graphic designer layout, but I'm interested in the kind of things I need to be able to share and talk to a graphic design okay, and, and that's layout. Good. That's, a really good, that's a really good topic. We like yeah. talking to people who actually understand what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, a great, that's a great one. Yeah. Any other kind of specific points? Um, I just want to find out about some other really cool tricks and tips and neat things that I might not already know about, like how it keeps me once a year or something really super neat and cool that I didn't know, like perfect resize a couple years ago. Just anything new and super cool that you come across that you think is really helpful. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Kind of going along the same line as the board game discussion. In the near future, we'll be putting together a rule book, an RPG book, and I was just wondering if you had any tips and tricks for how to lay out topography and how you add in the pictures and how you split it up so it's not just a big wall of text. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Cool. Awesome. You want to start with basics, tips, tools, and stuff, because that kind of everything else comes Don't use Comic Sans. Or Papyrus. Right. Right. Which I did on my first published game. Was it about Egypt? No. It's about Egypt, you get a mulligan. Or if it's about running a hippie bees store. No. I, used, um, I ended up using a papyrus lookalike font on the, uh, the character sheet for Orc World, but this was 2001. So this is actually a good point for a basic principle is that, that uh, uh, fonts are important, and some fonts are very tired, very old, and very overused. As much as we joke about them, there's a reason why people are like, Comic Sans is terrible. It's because yeah. Comic Sans is terrible. But there are other, like, Papyrus is a font that's used way too much. They're, yeah. they're just fonts. And people, the reason people use them is because they get them. They're, they're free with your computer. Yeah, free with your yeah. computer. And they um, look different from your standard text yeah. kind of style fonts. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the best places to get fonts, I guess, I think DA font is probably the place yes. I get the most. DAfont.com, you can find. For free. Um, for like free this for free stuff, yeah, yeah, free stuff. What I especially like about them is they will. When you look at the fonts, they'll tell you what licenses, you know, yeah. free free for personal use, commercial use only, demo, all that kind of stuff. It's got a great search engine. Yeah, and, um, and one thing you need to be careful when you're looking at fonts is um, when you usually they'll have the glyph set, which is the, the complete set of all characters for a font, and there's nothing worse than getting a font, finding it's the perfect font for your book, and realizing that there is no semicolon, and you go, oh. Yeah, yeah, no punctuation. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of free fonts are just the... Uh, lowercase and uppercase characters. Yeah. And maybe the numbers. And, then they, and the numbers. Yeah. And the numbers if you're lucky. Like a period. Well, that, that's how I got into font design. Um, because I found fonts that were missing characters, and I'm like, all right, I got to do this. All right, yeah. so, so let's, let's talk about like, basic tools and kind of what, you, what your 
uh, yeah. get yourself into if you're going to start lying out of your stuff. I think the, the Adobe Creative Suite is the currently the best right. thing. Industry to do. standard. Yeah, industry standard. Um, and they just shifted to a subscription model, monthly subscription model this year, which is excellent. I believe, is it a one-year commitment for the first start? start you can, I don't know. You can get a one-year commitment, and they're like the, the big programs are like twenty a month. Okay. Or you can get a month to month, and then they're thirty a month. So you pay okay. a little more if you just want. Actually, I think I think it's thirty and forty because I paid thirty and I was an upgrade subscription and I got the whole thing and okay. I did the one year. If you pay a little more, okay. if you want to have yeah. no contract. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Last time I checked, it was fifty a month. Period. It might be it might be fifty a month if you've never bought an Adobe product before because like most yeah. of us, we've been we doing have it for a while. Been. Yeah. I mean, I've been on it since. So we're upgrading. Right, but if you're so outdated, it wouldn't actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It skips. There's only it's only from like the most recent. No, I think it's actually all the It's all the three, I think. InDesign 3 and up, you can upgrade. Um, but anyway, it's a subscription model, and it has the advantage also of giving you access to the entire suite of Adobe tools, including stuff like Adobe Premiere, well, um, is it uh, Aperture? No, Lightroom. Lightroom for phot photographic stuff, which can be useful if you're running a company for stuff like if, you, if you're doing a Kickstarter and you want to edit your video, you have capability for that sort of stuff. As well. But that's After Effects is in the list, too. Uh, I'm looking at it now. It's, uh, it's different per program, like Muse is only 14, but now they're... Uh, one year is nineteen ninety nine per month, and month to month is twenty nine ninety one. Apparently, they just dropped that. So, oh, wow, I'm gonna have to look my. All right, so this is actually. So this is, I actually had no idea. So this is. What, what was deal. the name? What's the name of it again? It's Adobe Creative Suite. If you go to Adobe.com, it's their big thing, mm -hmm. yeah. and there are there, and um, Adobe's. Um, software covers a wide scope of everything from vector graphic graphic editing, all the way up through you know video editing and high video editing and stuff. Um, does everybody know here know the difference between vector and raster graphics? Because that's a fairly important a pretty, thing to use. Yeah. Um, um, vector graphics are made up of shapes and are scalable, <coughs> and raster graphics are actually pixels. Images. Yeah. So yeah, vectors are, are math that is drawing it as you resize it. Yeah. And then yeah, rasters are actually it's like printing where it's pixels colored in. Yeah. So um, that's why a small raster graphic, when you blow it up, looks terrible. Yeah, yeah. So the, and within the Creative Suite, the one the tools you'll be using the most probably for games are uh, InDesign, Illustrator, and Photoshop. Yeah, those are the sort of the big. Three. So that's kind of the core of of the Adobe experience are those three programs. So from a print standpoint. For yeah, right. for print. Yeah, this is so I think we are we're pretty much talking about print. Yeah. I think for the purposes of this panel, um, with, with maybe a view into interactive. Yeah, some interactive, stuff. some like and like PDF generating yeah. PDFs is super. I mean, it's not any. You don't. It's an extra button. Yeah. Um, going into interactive PDFs or like ebook formats. That's beyond my scope because I haven't done any ebook stuff. Yeah, I'm really. My understanding with it too. is it's a wild west out there right now for like. There's a lot of different standards. There's a lot of different standards yeah. and the tools to. Yeah, I mean, I have the stuff. All, are not full, very functional for layout wise. They don't play well with each other. Right. Yeah. Ebook e yeah. stuff is a ebook stuff's a whole other ball of wax because you're sort of abdicating a lot of graphic design right. stuff. You can control what you can control, but the list of things you can control is relatively small. Right. So yeah. So we're, so for print, uh, we're talking. So so uh, InDesign is dedicated to layout software where all the tools are there to enable you to flow text, uh, create <clears throat> a continuous document over multiple multiple pages and then create separations between those segments so like a book into chapters or a PDF into different sections and then you have bookmarks that just jump to the sections yeah um, and it's it is actually and it's vector based so it's um, even though it, it doesn't really matter with interface wise but uh, it so 
it's really easy to eat, resize stuff and change. Like, you can do your whole document, then you can be like, oh, my, my column widths are a little wide or whatever, and change it, and it brings everything in yeah. simultaneously. Make sure you have that box checked, though. Yeah, no, no it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, so Illustrator um, is a dedicated software package for doing vector illustrations, um, both creating them from scratch and also, like, taking in an image and converting it to a, a reasonably close vector version of a of like a photo or, or a raster image. Yeah, there used to be a program called Adobe Streamline that they integrated into Illustrator, and it, it, take, it will take a raster image, and like you said, you can select how many colors you preserve, how many you don't, and it'll, it'll convert it, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's <laughs> yeah. And so, and it has a lot of similar, I mean, all these, these all have kind of similar basic tools. Um, Illustrator has more of the like text kind of is easier to do text and stuff than Photoshop. Uh, if you're doing a lot of text, right. and design is clearly where you want to be for that. The newest Photoshop has a fairly robust uh, 3D um, capability as well that um, I've only experimented with a little bit, but you can do some pretty amazing mm -hmm. stuff with it. My understanding it. is the new Photoshop is like super magical. It is pretty it, like, magical. Just does, there's like stuff that you can do that looks it's just straight up wizardry. Yeah. yeah. So. It can do stuff. It can do wacky stuff. Um, the, the thing to realize about the Adobe Suite is that um, I think this is a fair thing to say that not even Adobe knows everything that it can do. Mm -hmm. um, they basically created this big tool set, and I, I'm continually coming upon yeah, tricks that somebody knows it. I mean, there's so many things out there, and, and the, the good thing is the web is a great resource because a lot, tons of people have put up free videos, free tutorials, free you know, like, hey, how do you want make some uh, you know a headshot of somebody look like a zombie? Right. Guarantee you, you will find it a step-by-step -step guide to right. doing that. Out. Yeah, googling like Adobe Photoshop tutorial goal yeah. will get you pages of results. Well, of varying quality, but like there's lots of resources. There's lots of people who have been trying to figure out these things, and a lot of them, you know, there's a big community of sharing. Yeah, this, like the one point I needed to make a wax seal from scratch. You know, something that looked like it was melted wax with a stamp in it, and I found a tutorial, and it worked like a charm. Yeah. Um, so just to 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 finish. The, the overview. So Photoshop obviously is uh, for. It, was, it started out as primarily for photo editing, right? Uh, so that's fair to begin with. And yeah. so now it has all these crazy capabilities that have nothing. Like you can make movies, like three D movies, from your single image and like crazy crap like that. <coughs> but the tools <coughs> and the logic of it are about uh, kind of a are, are kind of about changing these physical pixels, like changing color. Um, adjusting sizes, cropping, and yeah. all the layering and all that stuff. And, a, and a fairly robust set of uh, um, of web graphics. Yeah, it has a bunch of web well. graphic tools yeah. as well. So. And so for me, I actually started using mostly Photoshop and InDesign for layout, and then I actually transitioned to Illustrator almost exclusively for most of my graphic stuff, just because I wasn't doing much with photos in particular. Mm -hmm. And I once I kind of learned how Illustrator worked, it just is faster and easier for me to like do like if I'm just laying out like a postcard or something and just like making shapes and filling them with color and moving stuff around. Um, but all those things are possible in Photoshop and depending on kind of how your brain works and what makes, because they have, to me at least, they have different logic. I'm more on the Photoshop side. Right, of and people kind of fall into camps. Yeah. Like there's Photoshop people and Illustrator people. And I've learned Illustrator, and, and I think I will say the learning both is actually very mm -hmm. valuable because the more, the more, there is stuff now that I know that I can do in Photoshop, but it is actually quicker to do it. Like mm -hmm. Illustrator, it'll take five seconds, and if nothing else, I'll do it in Illustrator and then bring it into Photoshop. Right. And I've done the hard part yeah. over there. Right. Um, 
So what other tools will we say we, um, we need? Um, so that's so that's the big the, the, the big like. If you're I guess doing I'm, it for I'm kind real. of the odd man out because I'm almost exclusively not Adobe Suite mm. at all. No, this is I great. Use, so I use Acrobat Pro use? for you know, and if I'm <laughs> touching up uh, you know PDF I files, files. I use it for uh, to put form fields in character sheets. Mm. Yeah, Acrobat is another part of the suite that's actually very important. That's, yes. it comes as part of the suite. The, the Pro but, version, not just the reader that you read your graphics. Right, the reader right. doesn't have these functional tools to right. add stuff like. So, the, yeah, Acrobat Pro, Pro will let you um, touch up text if there's a minor typo. Um, if there's something that you need to like completely rewrite a paragraph, better to go back to the source document and export again. But um, you know, if there's like you know a letter missing somewhere, you can drop it in. Uh, <coughs> but the most important thing for it is the the form fields um, that you can put fields all over your character sheet, for example, and then put that out there, and people can open up the sheet and fill in the character sheet and then print it out. There's even like the capacity that. to build math into some of those. Yeah, yeah. you can yeah. do yeah. Like macros, yeah. essentially. Uh, the yeah. character sheet for Troll Babe uh, that I did for Ron Edwards, mm -hmm. um, you have the central thing is you have a number that goes from 2 to 9. Mm -hmm. And when you choose that number, it fills in the uh, the other stats. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really cool. Um, and so Acrobat also has, actually for me, unless I'm, uh, for a lot of, for, for actually a lot of what I've been doing, for doing digital files, for putting like bookmarks in your file and stuff, mm -hmm. InDesign has all those tools. But I've actually started just exporting a file and then just bookmarking it in Acrobat because it, yeah. it's yeah. easier for me to, to do it that way. And uh, it's probably it's not as integrated into like the fabric of the document, mm -hmm. but it has a really great set of tools for uh, yeah, just setting links so you can do this like so when you click on a certain area, it takes you to a certain page, yeah, um, or opens a website or whatever, which and is important. They're very clear and simple, which is in Acrobat, which is nice. Um, let's see other stuff. Uh, a good font management so piece yeah. of software is a good thing to have. It's not usually necessary, mm -hmm. but it's much nicer to be able to like I use one called Font Case, um, mm -hmm. and I'm on the Mac, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's doesn't really thing. Mac I think case. are we all Mac? No, no, yeah, it's so not that. Okay, yeah. no, this is good. That, so and that's and that's probably one of the other things. Um, there's yeah. there's a difference in the in the Adobe Suite mm -hmm. and on Mac and PC. Um, I, I switched over from PC to Mac. The difference isn't that big. In the middle of it. Uh, the thing is, I find personally, and, and this is just personal <laughs> preference, I find Illustrator and Photoshop clunky and horrible. Mm -hmm. But that's that's just me. Sure. Um, so as an alternative, I've been using PaintShop Pro, which uh, used to be Jask software, but has gotten subsumed by Corel in the last couple of years. <clears throat> but I've been using them for probably 12, 14 years now. Okay. Um, and that's my Photoshop substitute. It does everything the Photoshop okay. does. There's, um, a, there's also a piece of freeware called the GIMP. Yes. And stuff like that. Yes, I adore it. Yeah. You use the GIMP? I, I prefer it over previous versions of Photoshop that I do. That I had been using. Right, so there are these, and is that, that's open source, right? Yep, that's yep. open that's source and free, so download free. it, use it. Yeah, so free stuff is like, I mean, free stuff is great when it works, right? So there's and so the, the GIMP works, mm -hmm. yeah. and Inkscape and works. Inkscape. Yes. Yeah. Scribus, your mile, mileage may vary. What's, right. What is Inkscape on that? Inkscape is Illustrator. Okay. Yeah. It's a simple, clean Illustrator mm -hmm. vector. Uh, and I've used that from time to time. My, my big Application the one I use probably eighty five percent of the time is Zara Designer Pro, um, which start Zara Designer Pro Zara. started out as Zara X way back when. Um, it was originally a fork of uh, Corel Draw. Okay. 
at the very, very, very beginning, we're talking 1997. Mm -hmm. So um, they they split off and uh, became their own company, and they've been been doing the developing this program ever since. Um, it is primarily a, an Illustrator analog, so there's vector editing, but as it has grown, uh, they've added other stuff to it. Um, the current version will handle vector editing and, and you know, design, uh, but also desktop publishing and uh, web design. An issue you can get into using uh, open source, and I'm not gonna, I'm not poo-pooing open source software, um, is when you actually go to print, yeah, if you don't Export distill to Adobe PDF, you'll have a problem. Yeah, and, and and there's a certain <coughs> value to being able to hand your printer an InDesign file mm -hmm. instead of a PDF. You right. hand them PDF, and they you know they need every single job a printer does. They need to tune their machines to your right. color. Well, there's and, PDF, and then there's PDF. Um, right. yeah. One that's one of the things I like about Designer uh, Zara Designer Pro. Um, I, when I did Spooky Beans, I laid that out in that one program. Uh, for the simple reason that I did all the art in that program. So it was useful for me to lay out the document and have the artwork here and there, and if I needed to change a picture, I jumped right into the picture and edited it. I didn't have to go back out to you know Illustrator or Photoshop or anything and then import back in. It was all in one product. Uh, I think that's fair to say that's a fairly non-standard workflow. It's, it's utterly non-standard. Yeah. <laughs> and the big downside of it is that, um, I'll be honest, Desire Designer Pro has limitations on file size. Oh, okay. um, you know, so we're talking about um, the final print version of Spooky Beans had 120 pages. I had to split that up between five or six oh, files okay. because they got so big yeah. that moving stuff around took forever. Um, for my next project, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I'll use InDesign now because yeah, I have yeah, that. Yeah. If you're able to give your printer InDesign an InDesign file along with your PDF, they want both. Yeah. Ideally, yeah. because they will work with the PDF. Right. That's easier. Easy. Yeah. And then they can tune the machines. But if that's still not hitting exactly the color fidelity that you're looking for, exactly. For them to be able to go into your InDesign files and go into your source images and then tune those, because they have graphics production people at your printer. Now, now I will say. They will, they, they will charge you money for that, and they, they will charge will. you yeah. a not insignificant amount of money to no. do it. Um, I, I'll be, I have not given an InDesign file to a printer in uh, seven years. I've had printers tell me that they, they only want the PDF. Yeah, yeah. The, the PDF yeah. A, lot of, a lot of the printers now, all they want is the PDF, and the PDF... Um, well, this also may depend on what kind of printing you're doing. That is true. This sounds like it's more for like office. More like offset or like large scale stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the same thing. Same thing. What I'm doing is, you know, like I do, I do freelance design for for AEG and, and their stuff that we send to China to do their card mm -hmm. stuff. It's just the PDFs. They don't want any of the rest of it at mm -hmm. this point. Um, there was definitely a time. I mean, I mean, from when I've been doing this, it was originally like, give us a complete printout of your thing, burn every file you have related to it on disk. Right, onto a disk. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> send send, send yeah, it to mail them. Mail it and, to and, someone. And, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, and used to be artists would send us art, and we'd scan the art and everything like right, that. And I had... That's in the camera. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I, fortunately, I, I learned how to do that in college, but I never actually had to physically do it. <laughs> but, but I mean, there was a point where you learned skills that just weren't, weren't oh. valuable anymore. But now it's very much an electronic tr transfer of files for the most part. Speaking of color, though, one thing I'd like to speak to is there's a, a thing called a Huey that um, Pantone makes, and it's a little device. I think it runs about 75 bucks or something. And it's a USB thing that you set on your desk, and it scans your room light and adjusts your monitor to be color true, Ooh. which Ooh. is good oh for color goodness. correction. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. Just, you'll be amazed how screwed up your monitor is. And the funny thing, <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is that when I'm I got my monitor to color correct, it is just painful to use it for anything else because it turns the whole screen bluish, and it's really annoying, and it seems so dim. But um, it's actually really, really useful, and it'll it'll actually adjust stuff on the fly. 
I'd also recommend if you're going to be doing, you want stuff to come out color true, that you have a way to control the light in the room that you're working in, even if it's just like lowering your blinds or something like that, because mm -hmm. um, that's an important way to, I mean, there's no, nothing more embarrassing. Well, huh? Um, I think it's Pantone. You can buy it at any of the Apple stores carry them. Okay. And I, I believe they run about 60 or 70 bucks. And it'll work on my PC? It'll, yes, PC or Mac, it doesn't matter. Uh, do you have no? Do you know of any utility that will, Excuse me. That will artificially modify uh, what is displayed on the screen to mimic print? The properties of so print. Zara Designer Pro has that option in there. Okay. You have to you have to go in and turn it on per document. But every printer is different. Every yeah. printer is different, and your monitor is different. Your screen can never look like print. And your yeah. screen isn't a printed the, document. The difference, yeah, the difference between an RGB monitor and CMYK printing is tens of thousands of colors. Yeah. In oh. addition, any uh, anything you're printing on, there is a fit color of the paper, yeah. which will right. change the way. So right. I just want to point out. So Kevin over here, in addition to being, is a professional uh, uh, advertising graphic artist. Why aren't you sitting up here? Etc. Yeah. It's way more qualified than I am to be up here. So yeah. this, he, he's speaking lots of wisdom about these about these tools. Yeah. Um, so so you could. You're always looking to get as close as possible, but you really are probably oh now for what we do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get. It's a big. Often, we have a big It's often going to not matter. Yeah. Right. You know. We have a lot of. You're already speak for yourself, buddy. You guys be crazy when I don't get what I want. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and and the more you do this, the more it the more it bothers you. you. Yeah. Um, you know, but we're dealing in. You're dealing in different quantities. There's a difference between. Uh, you know, AT&T needing all of their oranges to always look the same right. in everything they produce. Right, it's and, a brand, like, and your game, right. you know, oh, it looks really good. And it's yeah. like the blue is a little different than what it looked like on my screen. You're, yeah. You know, don't break your back over it. Right. And, and I'd say you can actually, obviously, yeah, your screen's never going to look like print. But uh, going through the process of when you're doing your design and doing stuff, the uh, technique of just printing out a page, just even on your desktop, whatever your inkjet, and looking at it is will 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 catch lots of things that you wouldn't have thought of. Like yes, a, a real printer is using a much nicer machine than you probably have. I know than I have, but even just the transition of screen to thing to, to paper, and then you can look at it and be like, wow, this thing that looks teal is coming out really green or whatever, and you can. Yeah, the local print shops will usually, you can usually find a local print shop that has, uh, they used to call them, something close. Yeah, they used to call them, a, uh, I think it was a rainbow, which is a digital output printer that would actually replicate actual printing. Mm -hmm. And it would usually cost, it was, you know, something like 20 or 30 bucks a sheet, but if you were really super anal about needing to have it. Um, another thing you can do. Cheaper than getting proofs. Yeah, cheaper than getting proofs. Another thing you can do is uh, if you are working with the same printer, you know, say you're printing like three things a year, working with the same printer, sometimes, you know, like with my company, we have to divide our work out so we don't rack up too much debt with any one mm -hmm. person. But you you'll basically you'll learn like you'll learn this printer's stuff looks like this. If yeah. you know if I if you look at your book, you look at your screen, you go, I know what I'm getting. And you then and after that, honestly you kind of yeah, don't have to care about it. Because, you know, cultivating your relationship with a printer if you're gonna be doing if you're gonna be publishing multiple work pieces <clears> of work over time is uh, really, really helpful. Um, that said printers change all the time yeah, um, so it's like there's this constant dance of like you want to you, you want to be using people that you trust uh, that have delivered good work in the past and then you can calibrate what you're doing based on what you've gotten from them but you also want to be checking with them to see what they're doing how what new machines are getting get new paper samples because they change their paper stock often um, and then getting quotes from other printers every time you do a new job just to get a sense of like 
are these people still competitive? Uh, are these people still responsive? Yeah. Uh, you know, you always want to. There's there's this whole little process to go through when you're going to printers. We're fortunately past a, a transitional period that lasted about five years where. You really, when you approached a printer, you didn't know what yeah, they were going to ask you for. They, yeah. they were like, can you send me PostScript files? Yeah. Like, sure. You know, yeah. um, and any printer that's going to ask you for like EPS files and oh, stuff and won't take PDFs, yeah. run. Yeah, yeah. No, not so good. They're, so, they're think, still in so, the dark so, ages. So I would so ask this is about, a total other, other topic that we should talk about, but I want to make sure we cover... Yeah, I actually wanted to get back to tools. Well, yeah, I, you mentioned you do font editing. I was interested to know what you uh, use for I that. use a program called Font Creator by HiLogic. Okay. Um, How much does that run? I've actually not priced it. Uh, 200 bucks for the pro version. Okay. Uh, and it's well worth it because the pro. I mean, you, there's a, a, a standard version that's like seventy bucks, um, mm -hmm. but the pro version will do things like validating your font glyphs um, to make sure that there's no um, errors in in the contours and mm -hmm. um, to make sure that things aren't overla or overlapping where they shouldn't be and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, I would say that that giving you the level of, of mm -hmm. editing or creating your own font is seriously. Awesome, but also seriously something you probably don't need to be considering. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need graphic design. That is just me being completely <laughs> anal about the fonts, looking no, everywhere and not finding exactly what I want, yeah. and creating it on my own. I just, I just find if I find something that I really, really want, I'll, I'll buy, I'll buy fonts. Yeah, yeah the only time I've actually used font software is the time when I found I the absolute perfect font. Could I tried for for like three weeks to contact the creator whose site was like seven years old, mm -hmm. and I finally just bought. Uh, I think what was it? Uh, Whatever the Adobe uh, the photographer, and I just unlocked it and used it. I was like, yeah. I tried, dude. I'll, I'll give you money otherwise. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, a thing about uh, TA font and and uh, you know, you'll be a lot of free fonts there. You'll be a lot. You'll find a lot of shareware fonts there, and the shareware fonts usually run. You can pay between twelve and fifty bucks for a font. That's a fairly reasonable price. When you get into the higher end font stuff, like Hoffler and Fair Jones, some of these other places, yeah, they will charge. The, the tech foundry stuff, you will be shocked by how much they are. Oh, yeah. And, and um, you usually can find adequate substitutes that cost a lot less. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're used to catering to, like, IBM, who's like, you know, yeah. you know or like, they don't Yeah, or And their fonts are great. And if you if you absolutely find what you want, but expect to pay somewhere between well, 150 and And also, one yeah. reason that they cost more is those fonts generally are a fuller set of glyphs. Yes, yeah. they'll be like every language, and every um, special. And they'll also, well, also be, they'll be better quality. Yeah, every way. You get what you pay for. When you buy something from Tech Foundry, you know, those fonts have been valued. Validated, you know, and everything is set properly. You go and get freeware fonts. Uh, you will find glitches all over the place. Yeah, you you'll find you'll characters that uh, should be hollow and are filled in. Like, the, but there's like a sweet spot. There's, you know, there's like, like the there's the sweet spot where you're paying five bucks and they're probably terrible, and there's a sweet spot where you know, when you're paying five thousand and they're probably great, but you pay too much, and then there's sort of the fifty to five. Yeah, like yeah, I, I I paid like thirty dollars or forty dollars for a font set that. You know, and it's, it is what I needed. And all the clips I needed, it had uh, all the ligatures and stuff. So to get into, so sorry, just when I say uh, weights, um, that's actually a pretty important thing too for typesetting. So all the stuff, so bold, italic, um, bold italic, black, black, black italic, black italic, bold italic, etc. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. One, so one thing you'll find yeah. when you get away from Microsoft Word is that bold italic, bold italic. Those are separate fonts. Those are not. Yeah, all those are each separate character sets within um, a font. Microsoft family. Word simulates those, but you, when you get into InDesign and you put a font, you apply a font to a bunch of text and you hit bold. It will give you an error. Say this font does not exist. You know, in bold. yeah, it says, or you go and drop, and there's no bold option because yeah. it's a separate little font in the drop down. So, 
when you're looking for fonts online, uh, keeping in mind what your goal is with it, if, you're, if it's for like body text and you're doing headings and you're going to be doing emphasis on certain uh, paragraphs or something, um, you're going to want bold and italic. Um, and so finding a font that's perfect but doesn't have bold and italic probably isn't going to get you very, very far. Um, two pay sites I'd like to bring up are uh, Fontcraft, um, which is run by a guy who used to actually be a, he did a game called Isgarth years and years ago, a guy named Dave Nally. And it's a good, he's good for um, especially sort of like medieval, um, you know, uh, piratey and uh, uh, like uh, um, Art Nouveau. Well, no, no, not just Nerd Fonts, Art Nouveau. He has a lot of clip art that you can buy as well, but fairly high quality. Uh, and another one is Nate Pricos' uh, Blambot site, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Blambot's actually a lot of, uh, lot of comic book type fonts. Yeah, yeah. comic book that, that are well worth it. Yeah. Um, so my question would be, Assuming you've got a budget of maybe 200 bucks, what are some decent utilitarian basic fonts that you would find indispensable that someone should actually just buy? Hmm. See, that's tricky though because it's, a lot, a lot of the basic a lot of the text good fonts, good basic fonts are on your computer. Yeah, but like text for te for body text. I mean, you've got Chaparral, you've got Castellan, you've got mm, you got Garamond, Garamond, you've got. Uh, um, Trajan. Trajan. Yeah. Ah, Trajan. Trajan is that's, actually that's the movie trailer font. Yeah, Trajan yeah. is actually starting to get way overused. It's a great font, and it's, it's certainly not. But it's there's a reason why it's being overused. Yeah, it's not. It's not quite as like it's not like being smacked in your face like by, by papyrus, but it's all <laughs> over the damn place. Yeah. But like you, and then you also have your your your. Uh, it says the man laying a book out being Trajan, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then you also have your like you know. Everyone probably has like Arial or Helvetica or both, and I know font nerds. There's whatever, but Arial's fine. Times um, New Roman is not though. Do not no, it, you, unless you're doing a newspaper. <laughs> well, even then, they're even then they're they're they're, yeah. there are a dozen alternatives to using Times New Roman that are on your computer already. That right. are, uh, if you use Times New Roman, answer. we will notice it. Yeah. Yes. People it's, it's who, who do People, typography will notice. Well, and that's another thing. And we that, will we will go. Oh. Okay. Oh, God. So I want to I want to be very clear here. There is totally graphic design nerd type obsession. Yeah. People like us totally notice that kind of stuff. Your customers probably won't. Your customers yeah. may or may not, and also even if they do, there there's a love. So they're selecting a font that is actively making your book harder to read, and that's bad. You want to avoid that. Which I've done. But, right. Which I've done as well. Yeah. Um, it's I've tried to avoid process. Yeah. Uh, but there is. Um, but within, like, oh my god, I can't believe they used Times New Roman and not not yeah. uh, Garamond or whatever. Like, it's not like you can't read it. You yeah. know, it's not like and most people are not going to notice. And most people aren't. But at the same time, it's so little effort to just do it that way. Right. It's not. It's no big deal just to like you know Times yeah, New Roman. Yeah, to educate is a yourself font. about right. like getting away from defaults. The thing about Times New Roman is you open. Microsoft Word, and, and you it's open a new document, and it's in Times New Roman. And whether you're a font person or not, yeah, you, notice you will that. notice that relationship, yeah. and it will seem unworked. Yeah, yeah it'll right. seem like it hasn't been designed. Right. Like yeah. it hasn't been addressed. That is a unique case to that font. Right. Yeah. right. So, so that's why not to use that. In uh, which is now Calibri. Is doing the same thing. I think it's both. I would actually just, I just, I would just go, just Google like ten good, te you know, body text fonts, and you will find people's lists of them, and you can look oh, yeah. at them and choose. Yeah, and you'll find stuff. There's tons of stuff online about all of this stuff. I mean, that's that's pretty much where I learned everything. I. I did not go to school for this. I should have. I'd be in a very different place that nowadays if I had gone to school for this. I went to school for computers instead. You know, after 16 years working tech support, I got burned out on that. I'm very happy where I am now, yeah. finally. 
and, I, and I'm self-taught, but I, I had a, a degree in journalism and in art, but our graphic design teacher was a drunk idiot, and, uh, and I was a journalism, I, I learned how to count a headline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I learned skills that are concretely useless, like that even if society collapses, like, these really skills specific have, skills that you will never be able to use again. They were, they yeah, were useful from like 1935 yeah. until 2000, and they're not useful anymore. Yeah. Um, and but so I'm self-taught, and it sounds like you actually got the benefit of having some teachers. Well, so right? I was like I'm, I was self-taught until I actually went uh, I, I went back to school for um, actually for product design. Uh, but so I did like design kind of education, and then I also was taking graphic design yeah. kind of courses as part of my coursework. So I do have that academic space, but that's actually uh, not as. In terms of what I actually have concretely learned, the self-taught portion is been, has, you know, has been more probably valuable in like actual production terms. And then school is really, really valuable for uh, doing weirder stuff and kind of con how to think about stuff conceptually, which we yeah. probably don't really need to yeah. know. There's some, there's some great basic books out there that I would encourage that yeah. I'm still trying to go back and read. So that are basic of principles. Tools, let's yeah. talk about some, some resources and books. Oh, goodness. I, if the, you remember anything off the top of your head. I'm, I, I do know that if you go to the SF MoMA <laughs> <laughs> museum store uh -huh. online, they have a whole bunch of really good graphic design books. Um, <clears> and there are a couple that are just like, they're essentially, you know, they're not... They're not really textbooks, but they are basic step-throughs of the basic principles of graphic design. Right. And I, even I am going back and trying to school myself a little bit more classically in that stuff mm -hmm. at this point. Um, so, and there's stuff on typography and things like that as well. Um, I would The one book that I would recommend just off the top of my head is, uh, I believe the title is uh, Design for Non-Designers. The, yeah, the yeah. Robin Law. Or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams, non-designers non design book. Yeah, the non-designers design. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. it's like that. It's purple. It has like this yellow thing yeah. on it. Um, I wrote one called uh, "The Computer's Not a Typewriter," which I have not read. But uh, that particular book um, is super, super helpful just in being really, really clear about basic elements of design, like what is contrast, what is proportion, why do you choose. A co two colors to sit next to each other with really specific examples of here is a PTA newsletter that someone just like used all the default fonts and was like oh I'll, I'll, I want to emphasize something so I'm going to make it really big and then it looks terrible or whatever and then here is a you know apply these rules in this order like what is important how do you prioritize the information uh, and then you can see them side by side and very clearly see, the see difference what choices were made and why they have a visual impact. So I found that one really helpful. Yeah. One, what's that? Uh, I believe it's called the Non-Designers... Non design book, yeah. yeah. The Non-Designers Design book Robin by Robin Williams. Williams. Not the actor. Not no. the actor. Uh, one other thing that's good for that is uh, Before and After Magazine, uh, which the, sub the actual subscription for is actually kind of expensive, but if you go to their website, they have like um, a selection of, of articles and, and videos for free that are, they'll take you through, you know, a design of, like, like Nathan said, you know, here's a newsletter that somebody just, you know, threw the text on there. If we did this, this, and this, and this, you could make it look so much better. And uh, before and after magazine. And so, kind of, maybe transitioning a little bit, so, uh, the, so that stuff, so kind of basic principle stuff, is stuff you can implement in any software that you happen to be using. Yeah. yeah. Um, Having the having the tools, having Illustrator, uh, having you know the, these tools that are purpose built for this clearly is an advantage because it gives you more powerful ways to manage large documents in particular. Um, but if you have Microsoft Word uh, and that's why you're using to lay out your thing, you can still lay out a readable 
attractive document. It is probably you're going to hit some limit of what. Yeah, you're I'd encourage do. you to look, find another free. I would tool. encourage you to find <laughs> another free tool, but yeah. I, the, the principle. Uh, that I want to get across is that you don't need to go. I mean, I, it sounds like it's much easier to have the photo, the Adobe stuff now with the subscription model. It is the subscription model really did change. You don't have to. You don't have to spend whatever three thousand dollars on a package or, or yeah. steal it, which is fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've been in the position where I you know get it through school and then I you know I'm able to just keep it after yeah. that. In terms of other tools, I'd say a big monitor. The biggest monitor you can afford is probably the yeah. best thing to have. Um, big monitor is good. A Wacom tablet. It's a, a tablet with a pen. It's very very yeah. useful. I believe the, the small ones start at something like fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah. yeah. You can get them pretty cheap now. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and with the stylus. Yeah, with the stylus. Larger will help, but you know. Well, here's the thing. I um, as someone who uses the tablet very extensively, bigger is not always better because. Yeah. Um, there's a disconnect uh, between the size of your tablet and the size of your monitor uh, that is not there when you're drawing on paper. Yeah. You know, when you're drawing on paper, the size of your paper is the size of your paper, obviously. Um, with the tablet, um, and you know, if you're drawing in Illustrator or Photoshop or whatever, you can zoom in and out to whatever size you want. So, um, depending on your drawing style, you know, maybe uh, you know an eight-inch tablet is too much because you're moving your hand around too much you're going to get you know muscle problems and stuff like that um i use uh like a four four by six yeah, i think it i use a fits on my on my um my keyboard tray and it's beautiful and you know if i need to do something that's going to end up bigger on the page i just zoom right in and it works great do you do you end up using that for for doing like layout and editing stuff or for actual it sounds like you use it for actual illustration I use it mainly for illustration um, I don't use one and I actually yeah. tried to no, I, tried I, to use one and it didn't really click for me and I kind of yeah, like, for, yeah for, for, a learning curve yeah, yeah I know there's a learning curve but it's, I use it almost entirely for Photoshop work okay. like for you yeah. know for color, color correction color and then uh, or uh, you know if I'm doing a graphic of some sort and I'm you know, designing a logo or something I want some shading or yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, if I'm if I'm doing like layout and text and stuff, I'll I'll shut I'll shut the tablet down and put it on the side and right. just use the mouse. Yeah. yeah. At the very least, you'll find if you uh, you use a tablet a lot, you'll get a lot less wrist fatigue. Mm-hmm. This is a much more natural right than than this weird mouse claw. Yeah, yeah a good mouse is another an ergonomic mouse or something because yeah, you're doing a good. lot of mousing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that's a plus for me because you know, that's a, a must for me because I'm I'm doing a lot of gaming also. Yeah, so <laughs> that translates right there. Um, and there's there are some one thing you can also look into for the Adobe stuff is there are plugins sets that you can buy that are designed by people that can be really really useful um, for doing stuff like custom shortcuts and things like that. Because there's some stuff that there's some stuff that you know because of the workflow that I do, it is absolutely ridiculous that there is not a, a baked-in shortcut for it because I do it so much, right. like create, converting text to tables, dear God, because mm-hmm. there's not a shortcut for yeah. it. But you can buy custom plugins if you look around out on the web. That, that, there's um, also some good free ones out there. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. free ones too, yeah. Um, and so, oh, and I'll also say that the Adobe site, if you're using the Adobe software, has great tutorials. They do. Like, mm-hmm. that they publish. And they're like video tutorials mm-hmm. and voiceover. Yeah, they're very you, clear. And if you bought the software, all that stuff comes. And it's all free with, if you yeah. buy the software. So I assume it's free. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, access to the website and everything. There's some good user created stuff. Yeah, and they also have a community of user uploaded like tutorials and stuff like that. So there's like stuff out on the internet, and there's also the actual Adobe vetted 
produced videos that are really helpful. Another reason to go right. uh, One thing to have probably is a flatbed scanner. Um, yep. they're, they're, I, they're super cheap these days. You know, you can get all in one printer scanner combo. That's what I. Or even know, like if you want to be portable, use. you can use one of those really thin Canon ones yeah. that are like there's something like seventy five dollars or something, and they're, yep. they're actually really really good. Yeah. Um, and one piece of software that I use that I recommend to everybody if they can afford it. And I don't remember how much it costs because I bought it a while ago. And I don't, also don't know if they've upgraded it to CS6 because I kept my CS5 installation so I just wouldn't use it. It's called Perfect Resize. Uh, and it allows you to resize uh, uh, raster graphics um, using some sort of mathematical I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, it is a box of magic. It's magic. It is magic. Magic, um, magic button. It can, it, 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 there have been cases where I'm like, this is a need DTPI. Mm -hmm. Damn it. So, and then I've been able to convert it to something printable mm -hmm. by doing that. Yeah, it's pretty magical. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's not, did you end up buying it as well? Yeah, yeah it's, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. PaintShop Pro has something like that built in to the, to the resize option. Yeah, uh, but this stuff is like, trust me, dude, this thing is mad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's really great for, for what we do since we're, you know, we're never really dealing with something bigger than the Yeah, we're not, we're not going to print a billboard. Right, like, it was designed for, like, yeah. oh, I need to make a truck wrap. But yeah, yeah. Uh, an image that's five inches by five inches, and but, how yeah. would they make that look? Yeah, good? but on the other hand, also, you know, these one of the you know those pull-up standee things yeah. have become very useful, and I've been able to take a book cover that's this big, 300 DPI, and sure. full length it, and it yeah. looks fine. Okay. So. Is that a program or it's a separate yeah. program, right? Is that a, is that a program? Blow it up. Yeah. Perfect resizes. There's, there's a bunch of other ones too that uh, do resizing. Yeah. The perfect resize is the one that I've used the most. Uh, it was CS. Uh, the one I have is for CS5. Yeah, CS5. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like there's options. I I haven't. I, I was not aware of this. So, but it sounds like there's options out there for, you know, looking up some kind of package that will do this this function, which is a very useful function. On the other hand, if you're like hiring an artist or something, mm -hmm. they should be providing you. Your resources. Sure, sure. Some of it's like dealing with like, like yeah. if you're dealing, uh, if you're dealing with legacy, yeah, legacy assets yeah, and stuff right. like that. And that's what I've had to do with some of my freelance stuff, and with just you know our company assets have been sitting around at this point. We're you know green running's over a decade old now, so which frightens me. But um, you know, I've got stuff from ten years ago that is just in a different format, or maybe the file got corrupted, and now I've got a small version or something like that, and um, it could be really useful for doing that sort of stuff. Oh, another one, Boxshot 3D is a fantastic program that will allow you to do 3D rotated, shadowed, lighted things, mock-ups of boxes, books, books with dust jackets. They've oh, got a so ton like, of, a, like a preview mock-up yeah, kind of? Yeah, basically what it does is it, it, they, they have all these wireframes uh, of different types of products, mm -hmm. whether it be clamshell boxes, whatever, mm -hmm. and you can actually import new ones if they're in the right format, and it will it allows you to... Um, Take a, 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 a basically, you know, you can take a your 2D a two D image and wrap it around that wireframe, and then you can light it, you can rotate it, you can move it, you can see if yeah, there's a reflection cool. underneath it, and it looks super professional, which is really, really, really. So cool. this is something that you know, if you are this is cheap. A this Photoshop is like wizard, you could do in Photoshop, but it's uh, it, cheaper. Yeah, and, to, well, not only that, I mean, not, not just cheaper, but it, it takes like once you've set like I mean, for instance. Yeah, and a lot of our books are the same size, so I can literally like still the file, change the things, mm -hmm. render it out, and it's five minutes of work, and okay. it's done. What do you use the output in that image for? Uh, some stuff like a for the website. If you export it as a PNG file, um, um, it, you can save it as a bunch of different formats. If you save it as PNG, you can open it up with a transparent background, and we use it. I use it for our website, for our web store. 
Um, we so instead of the thumbnail of the um, book cover, you actually have a little image of like what this book looks like on a shelf. Yeah, look, you, yeah, you, you can do stuff like you can do a mock-up of a book that is open and lying on its back, and you can actually map actual pages onto that, wow. so it looks like the book is open. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I, I did a thing with the GM screen where we had all the components of it, um, and I was able to have the GM screen because there was a, a, a way to hack a, a, a there was, it was a pamphlet that basically I turned it into a GM screen had it setting up with the art wrapped around it and the booklet that came with it open in front right. of it and it was all just wrapped under the water. And so as opposed to take, setting that up in the studio taking a picture. Yeah, which is a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, which is a pain in the ass. So, and we also use it, we do um, a pre-order solicitation flyer that we send out to retailers and it's easy to slap that on there. Also, it sounds like, for example, if one were to run a Kickstarter, this would be a good tool for yeah, doing a fact, product mock-up before you have a physical book. Yeah, in fact, we're actually running our, our, uh, our 10th anniversary uh, Meets and Masterminds thing right now, and one of the things I need to do is actually do one of these this right. week for the new thing, so we can, because we're going to do a dust jacket, right. and I want to see what we'll do. And I think Kickstarter that was, requires... Uh, well, they require yeah. some kind of imagery. Yeah, mock-up yeah. of a physical yeah. product. But this actually allows you to do... Box wrap? Is that box shot 3D. Oh, box shot 3D. Box shot 3D. Yeah, and I believe that is also cross-platform, and it's a, it's a really cool piece of software. Um, all right, I want to make sure That's we, we, we get to the other things that, that were brought up. So, But I think that covers kind of the basics of tools that we well, use. Just one last thing. What, what yeah. do you use for your primary web editing? Is it still oh, that edit? Um, for uh, for don't, web don't, stuff? No pet plus plus. No pet plus plus. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's good. And coding. Um, that's well. That's I. You know, I started when I started with web design. I I, I start. I dived right into you know the nuts and bolts back end of it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Um, I used Dreamweaver for a while um, simply because it was great to code things out and and create a template and then apply have that template apply to every page that I created. Right. Um, a lot of the stuff I do with web design these days is in the context of like setting up a Drupal site or a WordPress. Yeah, or something I just like tag that. a word, tag WordPress templates generally. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I use a, I use so a, that's a what similar I, service. That's what I use it for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. Okay, so, so I think that covers tools now. So I think, yeah, that covers the basic tools that we use and some options. Uh, or let's ask, is there anything else you guys yeah. can think that what we've talked about couldn't cover? Or or the tools that anyone else has come across? Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Cool. Okay, so what else do we have? We want to talk about uh, graphic design for board games or printed printed material. Let's talk about the basic principles. Table. Like, you wanted to know something about the diet, the, the, the terminology and stuff. Okay. I'm kind of talking. I think that's useful for feeding. So, into the okay, message. so we'll build up. We'll talk about some basic graphic design layout, mm-hmm. yeah. language, and principles, and then we'll talk about printing for. I think printing layout for print, and then I have some stuff to say about board game stuff in particular, mm-hmm. and I think I'm sure we all have things to say about uh, RPG <laughs> book right. design. Well, does that cover yeah. a bit of pre-press 101 might yeah. be WordPress? Uh, pre-press the most important yeah. oh, concept in pre-press 300 dpi yeah, 300 dpi yeah. 300 dpi is what you want all okay. your images so dpi <laughs> less than that it's going to look horrible okay yeah. so so dpi is dots per inch and that is a measurement of uh, how many drops of ink are going onto the piece of paper per square inch right yeah and the web is 72 dpi Right. So, and on the web, so it's kind of a this like almost this false equivalency because the web is digital, not print. So you're not putting dots of ink on a page. You're doing pixels. Yes. Yeah. The, the most important principle is is just because it looks right on your screen, it does not mean it's going to print right. Look yeah. Right the two things are not related. Right. Yeah. So um, web design is actually easier in that respect because yeah. what you see on the screen is what you see on the screen when you yeah. look at the web page. Right. Uh, print is a different world entirely, and it also. Also keep in mind that you know 300 DPI. This is 
this is a relative measure, and mm -hmm. it is incomplete without an actual real-world height and width. Yeah, it's actually it is, uh, yeah, yeah, it's in Printers will say, you know, D 300 dpi, um, and then not mention a size, and yeah. then that's useless. And if you take a 72 dpi image that is this large on your screen, and you turn it 300 dpi, it will still look the same on your screen once you scale it back up. Right. But it will, in actuality, be it about print this big. This little tiny image. Yeah. So you need it's 300 dpi at your reproduction at size. At the size you want yeah. it to be printed. Yes. Right. Is it better to simply account for pixels? No. 2005, no. 3,000 no. pixels. It is absolutely not because okay. you are, pixels are not real world items. They're, they, <laughs> right. Pixels you are screened. You can't screen. draw pixels on your piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, pixels are screened. Now, you can look and see what the relation is. Yeah. You can approximate. Right. right. But okay. if you are working for print, sorry, you uh, work with pixels. Yeah, sorry, points. Yeah. Oh, points? Points, yeah. 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 Points is different, though, because points, points is type. It, yeah, yes. so. <laughs> um, Yeah. Uh, another term is LPI, and I believe uh, LPI well, is half of DPI. Is that correct? I, I have no idea. I think I think if you see 150 LPI, I believe that's the same as 300 DPI. Does that sound right to you? I never work in LPI. Okay, yeah. me neither. I just I never. It's heard. like so archaic. Yeah, it's terms yeah. you see. Yeah, maybe so, that's just one of my memory of my transitional years. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep just stepping back a little bit and make sure that. Uh, yeah. So the, so so. Uh, what we're talking about is when you get like an image from an artist, for example. This comes up pretty much all the time. Yeah. Um, they're gonna so they they've drawn their your beautiful book cover or whatever, and they've probably drawn it at the size you requested, uh, depending on the artist, I suppose. I, I usually ask for actually four. You ask for a big, I ask for four hundred. Yeah. Right. Bigger is yeah. always better because yeah. you can always reduce a, mm -hmm. an image. Right. You can always reduce. Um, you can never. Oh, there's this. There are magical tools that can. Yes. You can, but you should approximate. But if you don't have to use them, you don't yeah. want to. Yeah. You want to stay away from that. So you go to your artist and you say, I have an eight and a half by eleven book. I, I want a whatever size. I want a full page image. I, I want a full page image. So they're probably going to draw it at whatever nine. You know. A little bigger, so there's, yeah, so there's you know, some room to, to crop If you're if whatever. you're working with decent artists, they will usually work a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. decent artists will will do like you know the original the original yeah. whatever they're painting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, will be significantly larger. Painting. If they're if they're you know digital painting with a, a, a tablet and Photoshop, um, you know they'll work at like you know I, I know uh, Eric Quigley who was doing the uh, did the cover for uh, Tales from the Fallen Empire, which is coming out sometime. Um, the original piece is like 900 dpi. Yeah, mm -hmm. And when he exports that to, to PNG to send it to us, he, he reduces it. And most, most physical artists that you hire these days um, are now used to taking care of getting the scanning done on their end, right. because they do it, it used to be we would send stuff back and forth through the mail, and it was a big pain in the butt, right. we got yeah, to insure a thousand dollar painting. And, I've never had to do that. Yeah, yeah. Now the flatbed scanners are so cheap, everyone can have one. Yeah, yeah like uh, Wayne, Reynolds, Wayne Reynolds is an artist that we work with a lot, and he's really great. And his paintings are not that much bigger than the actual size you paint them, but he just scans them at a high DPI and you get the image. Yeah, so you basically, from your artist, you want to get, you want to tell them the size that you're actually going to be printing it, and you usually should specify most professional artists will, you know, kind of have a workflow where they give you a 600 DPI or a 900 DPI. Yeah, 400 or, or something. Or whatever. For, so yeah. for interior stuff. Is there any reason why you would not simply always say 600, just give me 600? Um, file, file size. Yeah, you, you can pick file that as your standard. But I mean, yeah, with things like Dropbox now, that's not an issue, but... Yeah, that again is rapidly becoming less of an issue. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, generally most, uh, most email providers will put a limit of 25 megs per attach, you know, uh, of, right. uh, per email on attachments. And, you know, when you're sending 600 or 800 DPI images, that can bump up against that limit. 
Yeah, I think the second most inter- is important term to you learn after 300 DPI is CYMK. Yes. If you're doing color work. If you're doing black, if you're only black and white, it doesn't matter. Um, there are other things to consider in black and white, though, because converting color images to black and white will not always. Okay, so CYMK, cyan, yellow, magenta, and black. And these are the four colors that are used in four color reproduction. Plus a printer, plus the, the paper that's printed. Plus the paper, yes, yeah. RGB is red, green, blue, and that is the three colors of the guns in your monitor, on your old monitor, but now the, the, right. the, of your monitor thing. Your LEDs or whatever. They are yeah. not the same thing at all. Right. One is for reproducing on a screen, one is for reproducing so on how, So for C1K, how the printer works, right, is they, your image gets split apart into plates that print different uh, kind of proportions of these four colors on top of each other. Little dots. Yeah, the little, the little, the physical dots of ink. So you'll have your cyan plate, your yellow plate, your magenta plate, and your black plate. Um, you can also have, we should probably mention, spot colors. And yeah. you can have spot colors. A spot color plate is something like, say you've got a silver ink you want to put on there, mm-hmm. and they'll do a separate plate for that and run that as a separate right. color. That's when, you know, like you were talking about with, uh, you know, AT&T wants, you know, this color to right. always be this color. Uh, that's what spot colors are for, and that's you know you, you yeah. are looking at you know the Pantone color book. Yeah, there's right? a whole, whole Pantone system that if you want to learn it, it's very useful. If you it's, don't, it's it's super interesting if you're a weird color nerd. Yeah, um, it's not necessary to like. Yeah. Out. In the context of RPG game design, you're probably never going to see it. Well, I, I wouldn't say that though, because if you're a corporate branding yourself, like well, say, yeah. say you're going to brand yeah. yourself and you want your company color to be X. You're, there are two ways you can do that. You can either do the CYMK combination of it, that, yeah. or you can find a Pantone color that is that color, and then you all, all you have to ever tell anybody is that color. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Pantone red man is always yeah, yeah. Right. Pantone is a universal color system. Yeah, so Pantone is a company that publishes these books and keeps these references of this standardized color system. So it's a color, it's a it's a Pantone code, and then every printer has a Pantone. You know, book to reference and set it up. I think that probably comes in much more in your world, where yeah, it's corporate yeah. branding. A lot of yeah. actually, so a lot of what I'm, a, so everything that I do at this point, and probably uh, I don't know how much you guys do, is actually digital printing, which is a, it's a little different. But I do offset for yeah, you probably do more offset. Yeah. But even when you're doing digital printing, where they're printing your books on like super super high end digital printers that are you know doing that aren't doing separate plates. This is CMYK is the format, the file format that. Or the, the color format that your layout file needs to be in for it for it to to look. One thing right. I learned um, when doing spooky beans in, in color and sending that file to the, to the printer uh, lightning source in this case um, is that there's black and then there's black. Right, there's uh, two different kinds uh, of learning, black. Learning the difference between black, flat black, and what's called rich black, which is uh, the black ink plus some percentage of the other three colors. Yeah, if you if you have to pick a rich black, going 100% black, 30-30-30 is probably a good starting point. I that, think. That's what lightning. But source some of them have their individual printer. You can ask your printer about that. And you can play with those levels to get different tones of black because you, yes. you can yeah. you can bring up the yellow and the magenta get a, to get a, like a warm black you know bring up the, the cyan to get a, a cooler black and this is something you actually won't see on your computer screen like you'll see black yeah. and you'll yeah. see black but when you see it printed yeah. you will clearly see the difference between the blacks yeah because RGB is just black is black yeah, yeah. Um, most digital artists I found don't bother to convert their files to CMYK before they send them to you. Um, I think a lot of that is based on the fact that there are some effects filters that only work on RGB, mm-hmm. and they just don't bother. So generally, the first thing you want to do when you get a file from an artist digitally is check to see which format it's in. Once again, it's assuming you're going to print. If you're just PDF, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, 
and then convert it. And converting it may have some effect on the color profile on it, and you're going to want to look at that, and maybe you may have to compensate yeah. for that. You, yeah, and you might want to you know, print it out and stuff. You know, print it out and make sure it kind of looks like what you buy. Don't like. be afraid to toss that back to your artist. Yeah, and be sure. like, hey, if I need that. If you bought a fancy piece of color art and yeah. they sent it to RGB, and, you know, yeah. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Like, I'm comfortable enough to convert it myself, but if you're, you know, a little leery about it, you know. Yeah. Or, like, if you're paying them anyway, it's like, yeah. give come me, on. Like, give me a CMYK. I need, a, that you're I need this for print. Yeah. 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 It's not, it is not an unreasonable request. It should not take them more than five minutes to convert it. How do you convert it? I mean, you're... The tool, the color man, stuff like the GIMP, and, uh, and Photoshop and stuff like that have settings. Okay. Photoshop, yes, the GIMP is. The GIMP can't do that. The, the GIMP can do that. Uh-huh. It can't do Pantone. Oh, Pantone's fine. You're, you're not going to be converting color, color art images to Pantone. So there's right? a, yeah, yeah. when you bring a file into Photoshop, I think just for the sake of, of, of ease, we'll just talk about Photoshop, Illustrator, etc. When you bring a file into Photoshop, there's a, it has what's called a color profile um, in a drop down kind of one of the drop-down mm-hmm. menus, and then you go in and you'll see a check next to RGB mm-hmm. or CMYK or... Then you just reset. Yeah, if you look in the info, when you open a graphic, if you look in the info bar and, and oh, in Photoshop, it says top. RGB or CYMK, clearly yeah. right at the top there. And then you go in and you check the other box, and then... It, and then save it again, and, and then, then save it's it. done. Yeah, it just does it like that, and it, you'll, you'll know, you'll, like, looking at it immediately, you'll know if something changes. And if something sometimes changes... very, very subtle. Yeah, so, sometimes, it, most of the time, it doesn't even matter these days. The, yeah. Most of the time, it's like, yeah. Photoshop has gotten good enough at converting it these days that it, it, it changes. It used to be like colors would mute and effects would die, and these days it's just you almost don't even notice. Yeah. It's very simple to do. Um, right, so you've. Uh, so, CMYK is really important. Uh, dots per inch is really important. We talked okay. about file format. Let's talk about PDF, I guess. It's probably. PDF? Yeah, portable document format, which is, um, which is Adobe's. It started out just as. A, Basically, Adobe won the graphic design wars by making their delivery format the standard that printers accept. Yeah. So. Um, and they did that by brute force. They did. I remember the days in, in the in the 90s when any piece of software that you got on CD would include a an installer for Adobe Acrobat yeah. Reader. Yeah. Um, it just they just pushed it everywhere to the point where it's like, oh god, I'm so sick of looking at this. Yeah. But it became the standard. Yeah. You know? and, and what what PDF actually does physically in terms of of the printer is it takes your layout stuff and effectively takes a slightly modifiable snapshot of it the printer can't screw up. It essentially freezes yeah. what yeah, freezes what you've got in terms of color, in terms of text positioning and everything like that. And the printer then can take that and convert it to its rip it puts it with they still call it ripping, I guess. And yeah. they rip it to, to plates and they send you back a proof and stuff like that. Um, what what this also does is uh, on the desktop printer level makes make sure that everything you you know, any any desktop printer that you print this out on, the document is going to be the same, which is not the case for, say, a Word document. Yeah. yeah. Um, another term, bleed, is probably a good term. Bleed, yes. Bleed. So bleed is a really good term. So bleed is the term for... Yeah, on, yeah. Okay, so you have your paper, right? You have your half by 11 piece of paper. If you want to cover this entire sheet with ink, um, that is uh, that is a full bleed. And well, the graphic designer is more up here drawing on the back of right. Yeah. So <laughs> right. So you want to set up. So you're going to set up your file with your graphic. Usually, how this comes up is you have a border graphic or you have a background, <coughs> and you want it to run all the way to the edge of your of your yeah. page. Or you have like a full page title chapter art, and you want it to run off of the edges. And right. No you don't white want you don't outside. want that little white border like you get with your home printer when you print out something that's supposed to be all you know a whole color block. So when you set up your files and layout, layout programs all have this as a very fundamental part of the, the setting up a document tool. Um, you have your page order, and then you have little, usually red lines of your bleed area, and you want your graphics to extend to the bleed because what the, especially for digital printing, especially for stuff that I do where they're actually, uh, you're actually 
running these pages off of what's essentially a really nice uh, uh, inkjet printer. Um, you, other, you, the, the, the printer itself, I'm sure with plates as well, I don't actually know the technology 100%, uh, the, the printer itself cannot print all the way to the edges of the piece of paper it's the same thing with printers. running yeah. through yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing. There's room for the mechanisms on right. either side. So what, they're, so, so what they're doing generally is they're printing all your stuff on big sheets and then cutting them up. Um, and so, so your uh, so your your bleed is covering up all these little errors. Like if this piece of this if this page happened to be on the side where the where the where the mechanism is, they're actually going to be cutting it in uh, from there to get all that white off. And then if your thing's like a little skewed or whatever, and your image is exactly on that edge, and then it turns, you have a little strip of white. Right. Like, so with the bleed, you have like quarter inch on the outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where your artwork standard. stands to. When then when they cut into that. Yeah. Everything they goes right in. Yeah. Um, now, one thing to note is that um, a lot of times with actual layout, what you're getting is you're going to be laying out in spreads. Yeah. So your bleed, it, it actually exists in the interior because when you distill your files, it'll bleed an eighth an inch over to the other side like this, right. but or an eighth an inch like on this. On your screen, you may be in two-page layout where you're looking at the two pages next to each other, and the, the visual that you're working with doesn't have bleed on that insight. Yeah. But it, but it is important to notice that it's, so say you have a full-page graphic that bleeds like this. Mm -hmm. um, when it trims, it's going to trim here, and there won't be any image. But generally, this will be in the spine of your book, so but nobody notices. So bleed yeah. for, for stuff that's going to be in the center part where your book folds is less important as the, as it is the outer edge. Yeah. Generally, I give it like a, like half as much of bleed yeah. in the inner margin. Well, I, honestly, if you're working in spreads, you don't. Need, I don't even do that. I just let it go. But you can do that if you're working in single page spreads, and then it's obviously different. Yeah. Um, and in your experience, bleeds are slightly more expensive than uh, yeah, no bleeds. Bleed, yeah, giving a bleeds more expensive because they have to do more. Because yeah, they, um, yeah, the, they but, have to do more work. but more expensive is a super minor cost. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's you know it's it's a, a penny. Or We're two. talking about pennies on the pit, yeah. like, on the on the book. On the book, and yeah. with a, with a cost per unit of a book of like three bucks, maybe like two cents of that is your bleed. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. okay. Yeah. I I, th I thought it was closer in the ten fifteen cent range. Right? No, uh, no, so. okay. That's more like color black and white is more than yeah. kind of difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the major difference is the amount of attention you need to pay to it as. as you know, Basically, if, if you if you don't think about it and you just kind of do your thing and you're just looking at your page and then you send it off to your printer, you'll you'll get it back and some of the pages will be fine and some of them will have weird little white will have little white lines on the edges and you'll be like, oh come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and um, crop marks are marks that are that your your file will put on the outside here to tell the printer where to trim. Your yeah. printer may or may not need them. They'll ask for them. They'll ask for them or, or whatever. And probably be a checkbox when you're exporting. Yeah, it's, it's you can add them or not. Some of them actively don't want them. Um, safe area is the opposite of bleed. Safe area is the area inside your actual page at which anything you put there will not be disrupted by no matter what happens in the printing process. Yes. Right. So like don't these put things, any text like right up to the edge there. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, that. unless but that's, that's it, good design sense anyway. Right. That's good design sense anyway. It's like I mean, if there's a particular effect you're going to for where you want to run something up, that's where you get into proofing and you like really need to build in this idea of, of getting your proofs back from the printer if they can manage really specific margins and stuff. But generally, yeah, so your safe area, and that's more of a, each company kind of has their own yeah, kind of yeah. standard. And, and you, run into, you tend to run into that more with stuff like magazine ads. Yeah, and, and um, like postcards. Postcards, things like that. You'll get you, if you ever use an automated tool like to get business cards and they give you that, that thing where it's like, it's like, here's the safe area. Don't have any of your important information outside of the safe area. It's the same idea. Yeah, like so this the print. Live area. Live area. Yeah, it's good. Um, and so that's, again, that's because they're printing out a bunch of sheets. 
they're cutting them up, they're stacking them, they're cutting them up again, and they're like collating them into your book. And so uh, if something's a little skewed and it's super close to the edge, it could get cut off in one of those trim, trim moments. That's some other good terms. Um, paperweights. Like, yeah. uh, um, basically, the higher the number, the heavier the paper. You know, right. You're 70 pounds, 60 pounds. I believe technically that has some relation to the it's, amount of weight it can support or something. No, it, or is it? Uh, I don't even know. You probably know this better than me. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's like it's the uh, how many pounds a pallet of of completely raw uncut sheets. Oh, okay. It's the like, actual weight. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and, what it's like, or a ream? Is how much a ream of uncut full size? Yeah. I, I, I think I actually measured that, and it was something like a foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wet with. Yeah, it's five hundred sheets. Is of that weight? Is yeah. that yeah. Yeah. So, something? Yeah. yeah so there's, anyway, some, there's some measure. Higher, higher is denser because the paper is physically thicker with a higher weight. So right. like a, a hundred weight is you know really like well that's like cardstock that's like almost so for then you start calling it points (laughs) yeah yeah once you get into points you're talking about like cardstock and it actually has like visible thickness and then weights go from I don't know 10 to 120 one thing I noticed I I learned this unfortunately after I printed Spooky Beans but um, when I was doing character sheets for uh, a friend of mine who was running a a game at uh, at recess a couple months ago um, we we printed them double sided Mm -hmm. and we printed the sheets out you know, and did both sides and look at it and we're like, okay, well, that looks great, but I can see the yeah. text on the back yeah. through the front. That's a low sort. Yeah. yeah, we had that was because I was using low weight copy paper yeah. mm-hmm. um, that was like 10 bucks a ream at Staples. So I went back to Staples and got something a bit heavier, you know, the heaviest thing that I could find that would still support inkjet because anything heavier it's than like that said laser only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 24 pound. Yeah. Um, if you're doing character sheets, also, I think you're doing what the players can do. Yeah, you want the thicker paper. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this ran sta- that through the printer and it looked beautiful. The standard printing paper you're gonna you find if you're printing black and white is what 60 pound 60. offset. Yeah. Now, uh, and offset is different than offset is a very particular type of pulp paper that is it's like it's like a slightly better version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into stuff like um, I guess what they call offset, which is for four color printing. Mm-hmm. You're in, in other types of paper. Um, 60 pound is sort of I think the so bare minimum would be what kind of on. like a floor for most. Most yeah, um, se- I've actually moved up to doing everything in 70 because mm-hmm. um, the paperweight is one of those things where so, you're not being a graphic designer to care about it because it actually does affect how your product feels. Right. It affects yeah. its thickness, its weight, so how I it feels actually, to the customer when they're flipping through it. Yeah, so I published a book where I actually yeah. worked with my printer to have two different paperweights in the book because there's this like uh, this kind of epistolary fiction section in the beginning and then kind of the rules text after that. So the beginning part, I actually wanted on, I wanted to feel more like 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 copy paper like like, like notebook paper. Yeah. So I was able. So I got. So like I went to my printer and I got paper samples and they sent me their their, their book of like. So your printer will have um, basically. You. Sh- I mean, I've got it both just like a folder with different pieces of paper or like a bound little like book with different samples and printed on it to show you what like a color image looks like or whatever. So I actually selected a lower weight. I actually used a fifty pound. Um, kind of yellowy paper for the front section, so it was more kind of notebooky. Yeah. And then I used uh, like an eighty-pound, like really shiny, like like uh, coated paper for the rest. So it was like this high contrast between these two sections of the book. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the op, your op, once you figure out the basics, the options for what you can do are yeah, endless. Pretty, pretty much endless. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there are all kinds of paper stocks, paperweights. You can do translucent paper. You can do yeah. you know yeah. special uh, foil printing in the interior. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, let's see here, bindings. Uh, bindings. So there's so perfect bound is the uh, what we all kind of think of as a normal book. It's regular paperbacks. Regular paperback. Yeah. It's where there's glue in the, in the binding, and then the pages are just stuck into the glue. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if I have something on. Uh, yeah. Coil bound, uh, coil bound yeah. is a thing that exists. Co- yeah, that, not a recommendation, coil just a thing that exists. Binding and stuff like that. The stuff you get done at Kinkos is, or, or excuse me, FedEx, or, uh, Kinkos are the only. Like, the, I mean, they Perfect have their bound. Yeah, there we go. Yes. They have their place, but you need to use them for effect. They're not really like if you want to look professional. There's something you should. Yeah, do. they yeah. do have a very visual code of the coil bound book that that reads kind of. DIY amateur. I mean, uh, DIY not in the good sense. Sort yeah. of in the yeah. I made this in my basement. In the, I couldn't friends. afford better. There's yeah. ever want a retailer to carry your. Uh, yeah. yeah. Brian's a retailer, so. Yeah, it must have a spine going around the coil. Yeah. Uh, so yes. You have it on display on the shelf. Yeah. The yes. Can read what it is instead yes. of just seeing the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's only one person I know of in the world that has ever been able to be selling. Books bound like that, and that was Jared Sorensen. Yeah. In the early days of when and I came love out. my coil bound inspectors because it's so easy to reference. Because that's the yeah. thing about coil binding; well, is it, they, they lay yeah, flat. Yeah, that, and that's and, really and that's the sad thing about it. it. They work, yeah, they but work. they don't look but they don't professional. Yeah, people yeah. don't buy them. Oh, yeah. So I actually have many examples here. So perfect. Right. So yes. right. Yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so that's so this is perfect bound. Right. Well, no. So this is perfect perfect bound. Right. We kind of are all familiar with what these look like. Uh, and then what they call saddle stitching is basically staples. Um, so this is... And it's not terrible. It's for the right stuff. Right. It works just so for, for magazines. It's for right. like a magazine format thing. Or, or anything that's... All the magazines. Page are, yeah, 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 I yeah. Small, small page count is literally just staples through the center of folded pieces of paper. Right? Yeah. Um, so, but again, that phys- it only <laughs> physically works for small page count. Right. And then it only looks okay on small page count. And be careful because there are printers that will happily saddle stitch print mm-hmm. your 160 page document. Yeah, they don't care. And it'll uh, always be yeah, and you it'll it'll always kind of be a little open. Yeah, yeah like even in this, if you look at the, you can the end of the pages, they'll come to a, an arrowhead, and yeah. it just it, it will look sloppy. It, 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 it can be okay for stuff like if you're doing a box set, you just the box that goes sure. right there. Oh, for yeah. sure. box. It's much. It's really cheap. There are, yes. right. It's yeah. very affordable. Yeah. So right. next up, you have case bound, case bound. Yes. which is the hardcover that everybody knows loves. Uh, this in particular is case bound, wrapped in cloth. Usually, we don't do this too much unless you're doing some sort of premium edition or something in the game industry. Um, obviously, it is two boards. Uh, the binding is glued into the spine here. There are also what's called Smith sewn, where they actually go through and sew it in, which is different. And, and that will also that has the additional advantage of you being able to open the book and it will lay flat, and the binding, the pages will lay out flat. Um, there are also the number of boards in your in your case bound. This is a two board case binding where you have a front board and a back board. If you have a spine board, that's a third board, and that gives a much flatter more premium look and I recently had an issue with a printer make sure you ask because they will say case bound and you will be thinking one thing and they'll be thinking another and when you get your book you will be a very sad panda (laughs) when you look at like you know player's handbook uh, yeah, it's a three wire books. Those are right where they have that nice they got that flat, flat spine yeah, with can, the two seams kind of on. The you side. can actually look at if you look at the side here. When you see it, you'll see one board here, one board here, and you'll see a square piece across here as well. And that's the third one. You can just feel it by writing thing where this this spine squishes in. And it's not like there's anything wrong with this. It's just that this presents a different rounded look than a flat look. And there there's a case to be made also, for both types. And it also depends on if it's going to be in a store, if it's being displayed, how it's displayed. Absolutely, like, something yeah. like this where it's smaller, actually the round. Yeah. 
Yeah. Might be more comfortable. If you have a dust jacket on it, dust that's a whole jacket, different yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the cloth binding, and, and all, most printers can do special, like, you know, you can see this is special shiny stuff and everything like that. Yeah. So. There's um, also, the, there's a big issue of durability between yeah. the three. Yeah. Uh, saddle stitch, obviously, is the, the least. On the lower end of durability. Right. Uh, yeah. Perfect bound, you've got uh, a, you know, we've all played with paperback books. If you have a thick paperback book and you've read it, you'll, you'll break the spine right. in reading it. And so if it's good glue and paper, good Yeah, and that's binding, another that's the thing with, with quality issue. With Perfect Bound, there's a very wide range of quality. Um, and I've seen where you hear people like, oh my god, my pages fell out of my book. Yeah. And, it's like, and I've, I've noticed that there's, um, that has a lot to do with who you're using as a printer. Yep. And yeah. unfortunately, there's no way to know that until you get your book and it, the pages That's fall out. True. Is that the kind of thing you can ask? Ask do for your samples. Pages. Absolutely. Yeah, like, do you have multiple glues? No, ask for samples of books they've already printed. They'll okay. probably only have one glue. They yeah. won't have a gluing yeah. option for you. Okay. Yeah. But ask for, give me a, give me a sample of something you've perked about previously. Yeah. And uh, talk to other right. publishers. Talk to other yeah. producers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never met someone who wasn't happy to either recommend or... <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed uh, back in the day when Artel Sorian put out a lot of cyberpunk supplements, they had a particular printer. I don't know who it was. Um, you'd have to talk to Mike Pondsmith about that. But um, there were specific supplements that they had that would consistently fall apart, and other ones that wouldn't because they had different printers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, so the samples thing. When you when you're approaching a printer, or you're getting a quote from a printer. This is generally my process. I'm sure everyone has a slightly different way to go about it. But I usually do it just like, I just email printers. Almost every printer now you can email or they have an automated quote request form on their website. Yeah. Um, and this is either just people I've heard about from other publishers or I do a little bit of Googling just to see if anyone's come up recently that I don't know about. I also generally look for people who are in my geographic area because it helps with shipping issues. If you both, pull that off. It's both cost and also with uh, time, time delay. And I, I live in Chicago, so I'm actually in a really good place now for uh, that because there's a lot of lot of printers in the Heartland. You look bang. You have a junior. We have. I have everyone. It's great. Um, but anyway, so I'll send out a bunch of uh, quote requests, and then I'll get back uh, most of them. If your printer does not get back to you within, I mean, I, I generally give them a week. Generally, I get everything the same day or the next day, and then don't hear anything from the other one or whatever, and it's like, if they can't even get back to you, obviously, move on. Yeah. Um, but then I look at the quotes, and then I kind of go, like, some t and usually it's like, okay, this seems, they'll usually cluster, and then there'll be someone who's, like, unreasonably high, and I'm like, okay, that's not worth my time. And then there'll be someone who's unreasonably low, I'm like, hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes it just works out that someone has some special deal or process or something, and sometimes it's because they're unreliable and they're... That can come down to just there's another printer in their town, right? And yeah, they're they, being competitive, and they're yeah. trying to undercut right. that guy. So I'll, you know, so anyway, so I have like a short list just based on who got back to me and what the quotes look like, and what they sometimes I have special stuff. So some people are like, oh yeah, that'll our our base quote is really reasonable, but then the special stuff costs an arm and a leg, and I'm like, ah, eh, that's. I, I do the math to see where you know these people are going to fall down. And if you're doing a special project like a box set or something, sometimes you can in fact save yourself some money by tr not trying to do it all in one place. Like we, yeah. print, I print for the Dragon Age box sets, we print our books one place, I get the maps done by a place in Ohio, mm -hmm. I get the boxes done by another place in Kentucky, and then the Kentucky guy knows a fulfillment place and everything gets shipped there and they put it together for us. What's That's the place in Ohio you use? Uh, it's for, just for, for big poster maps, it's um, uh, Jack Prince. 
Yeah. yeah, they do like rock flyers and posts. They actually are really good. They do T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff. They're they're okay. I actually, it, it, you know, they're, I'm sure you can get cheaper, but um, not by a lot. And the quality there is really good. And the people are really responsive. So I've had very good experiences. What part of Ohio do you know? I don't know, but they, their their site is really good too. They, they have a comprehensive list of all their products. Good visual examples. It's one thing. The pricing is really clear. Like they're very clear about that. Some printers can be yeah. so opaque about their pricing on their website. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And this sort of place was very. The full service web places are usually a little bit better in terms of stuff like that. But they do all kinds. They do you know. They they do stuff that I've considered trying to adapt to doing games mm-hmm. in stuff like CD inserts. You know things yeah. like that. Um, and it's an interesting time for print buying because, for instance, one of the major printers right now that a lot of companies are using in the U.S. was a yearbook printer. Yeah. It's a place called Bal- uh, Taylor slash Balfour. Yeah. And um, they are, I mean, they, all of a sudden people are like, gosh, yearbooks aren't selling so well. And they're sort of, they've got these big color web presses and they're kind of looking around for business and they've been really good to work with so far. So it's kind of analogous to RPG printing anyway. As run, run yeah. The sizes come down because they're used to doing short print runs, but short print runs of high quality Books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glossy, glossy. yeah, yeah, and that's actually yeah, because you're not printing ten thousand yearbooks. Yeah, 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 you can actually print <clears throat> two thousand copies of these people, and you can get a cost per unit. You can actually make money on. Yeah. So, I, I guess yeah. you know, uh, uh, to get to print negotiation, it is a negotiated process. It's not yeah. a you know, well, what's your price? This is my price. Oh, okay, thanks. I'll call somebody else. Yeah, and you can talk with a printer, and you can you can ask, you know, is that really your best price? You right. Know, bottom line, and you can go back and forth with the printer. And really watch that price go down depending on the type of year right. right. and don't be afraid to copy and paste the specs from one printer's quote and yeah. send it to another printer right. yeah. try to take yeah. the name off it's that's good cool. yeah that's what awesome. I've been like or what I generally do because I'm a nice guy is I'll generally be like hey I talked to someone else and they're giving me a quote with this just just the dollar amount just like they're giving me 268 a book is there anything you can do and sometimes they'll say no sometimes they're like no we can't match that and they're like okay cool and then uh, Al did me a, a really great favor when we printed our uh, our product a couple years ago gave me his print quote and the printer that he used to do a very similar product. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, called people up. I said, this, this is the price that you gave for these mm-hmm. guys back then. And they were like, they want to give me a higher price. They came down to that price. And then I came back to them a few days later and I said, uh, can you do any better than this for me? Yeah. And they dropped it 11 cents. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is about... Yeah, yeah. So that's. And I, I would say, don't be afraid to ask uh, other people you know who make games about printers. Nobody yeah. tends to be really protective about their. Printers. No one's Nobody's like. We all want our good printers to get more business because yeah. then they'll stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and yeah. I yeah. mean, the reason I go with Lightning Source is because Luke Crane talks them up all the time. Lightning yeah. Source is pretty Very good for, for for POD stuff. Um, well, Lightning I've, Source it should I've be noted cannot do full bleed interior, yeah. but. And I had trouble getting set up. Like I had trouble talking to them about a quote. So oh, getting I, stuff. Getting stuff initially was painful, yeah. but once I'm once you're in, it's pretty easy. Anyway, um, one thing: is there any good reliable tool for getting estimates on print costs? Just go before you start getting quotes. No, I've been using <laughs> nope. I've been using Lulu as my oh, high no, price. No, okay. no, 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 as my no. maximum price. No, no. So, so that I know it won't go any higher than. Uh, well, this. I mean, sure, that, so, that works. I mean, that's like saying... It, just just so I know that I, like... Like, I fully recognize it's obscenely expensive, but I know that no, okay, I won't get overrun to past get rent, that. Yeah, you're like, okay, I clearly am never going to pay more than this per that's Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I will publicly crap all over Lulu. They are terrible. Do not use them. They are, they're, they're, their shipping department is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, if they say, they, they, you know, they will... 
tell you they can't ship to places that everybody else on Earth does. Mm-hmm. And when you ask them about it, they just say, sorry, nothing we can do. Their pricing is terrible. Their, their print quality is terrible. Just- so my, I, I am a Lulu publisher. I've, I've used them. Run. No, no, no. Here's my story. I, I mean, okay, so I've used them since, 2000, since 2007 for various things. Um, and I have I have noticed in that time that their prices have gone up and the quality has actually gone. It got better for a little while and then it kind of leveled out. And recent stuff has been kind of. I can't speak to the past, and obviously, yeah. if they were. So I'm just saying it was like it was. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. The only but, reason I want to use Lulu is I also publish fiction and I want to get a bunch of review quotes on the back. I'll sure. usually print you know five copies so that there's a setup fee and. Send those out. Yeah. And that, that's the advantage to using them is that you know there's no upfront costs there. They just take a chunk out of each book. But just recently doing costing create space has has quotes that are more consistent that is a POD outfit that's associated with Amazon that has costs that I associated more with getting quotes from printers and were no. way, way more competitive yeah. than you know, like half as much as Lulu's. My Lulu's horror cool. story is that uh, I, I bought a book um, Play Unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had bought a copy of it years ago and then loaned it to somebody and never got it back. So I bought another copy, and the book that I got was something else inside. Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to them, though, they were very apologetic about it, and they did not even require me to send the other book back, and they just sent me a new copy, and yeah, okay. done with it. So, so yeah, I want to make questions. sure we get to yeah. questions. Yeah. Yes. So, so this has been a great discussion. It's been very helpful to me, but... Uh, now I, I'm trying to find a graphic designer to help me yes, with my yes. project. So this. what kind of thing, like if I want to get some quotes, right? Find out how much is it going to cost? Yeah. What kind of things do I need to communicate from the standpoint of what the project is and you know my thoughts on how you know I, I think I want things to go, whatever. How do I work that and make sure that I'm getting apples to apples from different right. graphic designers and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is a part where I'm very... This is more your... your yeah, yeah I, I do a lot of freelance indeed, and I have to say that I'm very... Like, there are... there are The real-world graphic design will cost you more, like, the, yeah. outside of the industry. Every, everything should be... Pre- if, if somebody is trying to charge you what they would charge normally for somebody, like, if trying, they're working for, like, Random House or something, do not hire them. It's ridiculous. Uh, you can get... Cause, because there are people like, like me who we understand who we work for. And honestly... The amount of work we're I have to do. The, the, the RPG industry is a bubble industry where we have our own standards, and you can fight. You can work against that if you are trying to, you know, kind of get us closer to other industries. Yeah. Or you can work within those parameters, which is what. Helps yeah, and and the, and the amount of money that, that we charge is is not. It's not like I'm I'm going like it's God. Like this is cheating. charity work. Yeah, yeah you're not yeah. cheating people. No, and I'm not cheating people, and at the same time, I'm not cheating myself either. Right. Exactly. Um, it's I mean, more you're cheating the legit clients. Yeah, yeah. The legit clients are paying way more for what they're getting, what they're getting from these. Companies. I did yeah. one job uh, for a major toy company that was a PDF, like a 32-page PDF graphic design stuff of stuff, and I got paid 1,500 bucks for it. And I know that the guy who hired me to do it shaved at least 500 to 1,000 off the top of that. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it's like you guys have too much money. <laughs> you don't know how much things cost. Um, we don't have enough. Yeah. Um, if I were to ballpark. I mean, it's hard to say because every project is different. I mean, uh, I'm asking from a board game standpoint, okay. more game so game. than an RPG standpoint. Yeah, just, just it's, it's probably similar process. It means a similar process. Yeah, just, just as a as a as a page rate for for books, if you ever do that. I, I mean, generally about ten bucks a page per book, taken as a deal, and you can shave, you know, round it up or down depending on the book on the book size. Um, and the complexity. And, yeah, and, the and complexity. The, how much? How many revisions? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, the ten dollars sort of factors in taking care of that to me sure. because so that's your, like if you're doing a 128 page book, I generally would get 1,200 bucks for it when I laid it out, and that's that's end to end, do the cover, make sure it's good for pre press, good to go. 
Board game stuff is trickier, and it depends on the complexity of the components in, in the interior. I would say if you want somebody to do a box design, a board, a, a board game design, um, and this is the part also where you're interfacing with artists as well, because for instance, a lot of people right. want a fully rendered art piece to go under the board or something like that. Um, I mean, generally, God, it's really hard. I'm trying to think of similar projects I've done. If I was, to, if, say I was to do a, 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 a board game that was, I was doing the box, I was doing the logo design for it, I was doing, um, you know, board design in the interior, say I was doing a bunch of cards, a bunch of counters and stuff like that, I would think somewhere in the 1500 to 2000 would be about where ball, I'd be ballparking. That seems, that seems reasonable. Yeah. For like, a, for like kind of like a... a, a like a stand, standard, like box size. Like. Yeah, that, and I'm thinking that's sort of like one of your Days of Wonder style. Yeah, Days of Wonder Square, style. big, mm-hmm. bunch of components. And obviously that can go up and down. I mean, if all you need to do me is the box, the box is probably like somewhere between three and five, depending sure. on the on the complexity. Um, if you have a crap ton of cards. If you have a crap ton of cards, it can go up if I'm doing a bunch of adjustments so, on that. Yeah. So cool, but uh, so how should uh, me as a board game publisher uh, come to you and say, hey, I want you to... If I come to you and say, I want you to design my board game, that's not a very helpful yeah. email. The first right? thing you should do is you should present your win. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. The, the most important thing when approaching a freelancer about this sort of thing is to have the scope of what you need done clearly delineated. To be like, I need this box. Right. Like uh, bullet points. Like, yeah, bullet I need points. this, yeah. this, the other. Yeah, box, top, and bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you need the logo. More details are better. Yeah, you know, logo design, uh, you know, so-and-so page rule book mm-hmm. color. Right. Things like that. Even um, if it's, it's like two-page black and white rule book, still put that. Even though that yeah. seems super minor, yeah, still put that in because if it's very important. Yeah, 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 clear directions and and also um, have a clear idea. If you even have like if you have an idea of what you want in your head, right. do a crappy sketch in paint of the basics of right. it. Um, do a f- black and white draw on a piece of paper, scan it, yeah. and put it in the email. Um, like anything. Find it's- comparable games that you want your game yes. not to look like, but to have the same sort of feel or quality as the quality level you're looking for. Yeah. And um, this is well, go ahead. No, no. Um, uh, oh, I mean, that's good. Well, okay. So I was, there's uh, another wonderful thing about our internet era is you could do something like use a uh, use, for example, Pinterest or another web platform to put together a mood board. Very much so. Um, Tumblr or something. So like that. if you're not familiar, the mood board is, is a, the advertising and graphic design kind of idea where you're just collecting a bunch of images together in order to create a sense of what you're going for, right? So it's very, you know, whatever, touchy-feely. But because it's not like, I'm, I'm doing shoes, so I'm going to get a bunch of pictures of shoes. Like, that's not what a mood board is. A mood board's more like... Images are giving me the sense of what I want these shoes to say to the consumer when they come and buy them. So that's something that would be helpful to the That'd artist be, as well as right. to the graphic designer. Right. Right. Yeah, it's usually yeah. helpful for you to do when you're designing the game, <coughs> may, even if you're not a visual person, but because if you're going to be communicating with visual people and you find images and you have this set of images that's speaking to you about what your game is about and what you want it to look like, it'll help you communicate with these visual people. Another good thing for that too is just like, like you know, music samples. Like, yeah. Here's a picture of the guy that we envisioned playing this game. Right. Yeah. It, the hardest thing whenever you're doing design for somebody else is they have an idea in their head. Right. They tell you in a general sense what they want, and you get an idea in your head, and it very well may not be the same idea. Words are, are once, really once hard. Once starts getting into that work and starts getting out to it, and they come back, it's like, no, it's completely not what I wanted. All of that work's like, okay, we have to go back and redo it completely. So even colors, music, feel, theme, anything like that you convey, 
so you can get on the same page mentally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But from a design standpoint, what you want to do, that, that right. can go. Now, on the flip side, if, if your graphic designer doesn't get it right offhand, don't be afraid to ask for revisions. You know, to now it it's would part be, of the job. Yeah, it would yeah. be part of it. It is better to do stuff like ask if you want. If you're not quite sure where you want to go. Say to the to ask for concepts. yeah, ask for concepts. Ask for like something that artists can do up really, the designer can do up really quickly. You know, like a lo logo stuff. They'll generally somebody will do a bunch of really quick, mm -hmm. sketches. you know, sketches or you know, shapes put together or something that'll that'll give you an idea of uh, of, of what they want. You can pick the best one. Um, and remember like, that those are comps and roughs. Yeah, right. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a client with here's seven logos that we might use, and they're all dressed in there. Well, these look like crap. It's like, well, yeah, they look like crap. They're, they're sketches. Right. Yeah. They're ideas. I mean, as a graphic designer, an idea for you to get. Polishing stuff takes time, and I generally only want to polish the thing once. You, you, only, <laughs> want to, you only want to do all the detail work on, you want to, you want to maximize, you want to minimize your time for the, the, the quality of the work, because you only have so many hours in a day, and if you're a freelancer, you're taking on multiple clients and whatever. You have other stuff you're doing. So, like, you want to you want to use really quick, rough ideas to get on the same page, and then once you've found the, the direction to go with the client, that's when you sit down and you do your initial round, and then you fill in the details when that's approved. Is essentially. If you want a great resource for mood boards, actually, look at wedding blogs. Oh yeah. Because yeah. wedding planners, one of the the few things they can give you up front is a mood board of how we'll do your wedding, and they all post them online, and you can right. you can really see things. how like. And obviously, they're for weddings, so yeah. there's going to be a lot of wedding imagery. But it'll really give you a sense of like, oh, this is more than just like a dress and like what a food might look like. There's like, oh, there's a picture of an elephant, and like this, I get the sense of a color palette. And, right. Yeah. And, and one of the trickiest things to be about dealing with graphic designers, and I have to say it as one, is yeah. learning to discern when your graphic designer is, is going off in left field. Well, also when, he, when he's pushing back on you because he actually knows something you don't, yeah. and is trying to make your product better. And when he's simply being an opinionated jerk who is holding on to his thing and because a, he's become married to his own design. And as a graphic designer, it's, it's really hard to tell when you're doing that yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and sometimes you'll do that without being a jerk. You'll just be like, no, 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 this is really the way we should do it. But if you are the client, I mean, because if you are paying someone, yeah, at the end of the day, it's your money. And you should be able to say to somebody, look, I'm paying you for this. If you can't work with this, I will find somebody else and there's no harm or no foul. But I mean, the, the professional relationship, a professional graphic designer will push back on you if he thinks you're wrong. But ultimately, we'll go. You're the customer, and you know. Mm -hmm. And as but a graphic designer, I had to do that. Keep in mind, yeah. I mean, every designer is used to making compromises. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's as much a part of the job it's, as yeah. moving mess. But remember, you are hiring a person because you trust in their expertise. Right. right. You know, trust in their expertise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's easier to do if you have a recommendation, if you've worked with them before. Sure. Building right. relationships, it's like anything else. Yeah, building building relationships relationship with awesome. a freelancer yeah. is really helpful. Like, I have a really strong relationship with, with Alderac Entertainment Group because I do a bunch of layout stuff for them. And generally, they don't need to tell me too much. When they tell me what they, what they need, and I know what they expect to see. And I know what I can show, you know, I, I know when I come up against an idea where I go, eh, that's pretty cool, nah, they're going to hate that. And I just and don't even bother. You expect know. is the operative word there. Um, yeah, expectations. One thing I, I learned from years and years of working in tech support is, you know, dealing with people on the phones and stuff, managing expectations because they, you know, clients will come to you with what may be unrealistic expectations about, you know, like you said with the logos, you know, you gave them sketches and they're like, these look like crap because they were expecting finished logos. Right. And that was not going to happen at the concept stage. Yeah. I was going to say another important thing for, you know, when you're 
get pitching a job to a designer is also like include in that like the number of rounds of revision. Yes, you want yeah. to that's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, three initial concept sketches that are mm-hmm. going to be it's pretty standard, rough and yeah. ugly. Then like a initial one revisions and then a second round of revisions. Yeah. So, so standard. From both a hiring standpoint and from a freelancer standpoint, um, always work with contract. Yeah. yeah. Always, always. I don't care if you're hiring your best friend. I don't care if you're hiring your mother. Work with a contract. Yeah. Because as uh, as the person hiring, you want that protection. And as the freelancer, you want to have that hard coded. So like, set up the dates I expect these deliverables. Like we're gonna have concepting by here, and then you're gonna have three weeks to do a first round. Right. So like, yeah. So what you expect? So part of that initial transmission definitely include your timeline. Yeah. And sometimes your timeline is, you know, I'm in the production process and once I have everything together, I'm going to publish or whatever, which is fine. It can be fluid. But it can be fluid, but also creating an artificial deadline for your freelancer will be really helpful because your freelancer who is taking on other work and has other commitments, if their deadline is whenever, that means your job is going to be at the bottom of their to-do list every day when they sit down to do their freelance yeah. work. Not out of malice, just out of like, well, I yeah, have this other not, deadline. Yeah, you know. they're just kind of like, and a good, you know, a good person will check with you and be like, hey, I know this is whenever, but do you, when you know, I, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. when is it like, because this is still, I still haven't, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I, I, I get to it. So when do you really need it? Yeah. Or I would recommend setting an artificial deadline, even if your timeline is whatever. Say I want it in a month, or I want it in three weeks, or I want it in two months, or yeah. whatever. And I would also recommend that if you're hiring a graphic designer, you make it clear that you expect at the end of the thing to be delivered both press files and their work files, because yeah. you need to be able to take those work files to another graphic designer if, if your relationship with them blows up. Um, and unless you are hiring them for some super proprietary thing that they only they know how to do, and they flatten that layer because that's their their selling point, you should be able to look at their file later on and have somebody else modify it. Yeah, and don't work with those people. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. no one who has some amazing trick that is so worth that. Yeah. That is so worth it that they're not going yeah. to you. PDF yeah. files are output files. They're not meant to be edited, technically yeah. speaking. Right. Yeah, like you know, a, like if a, you need to make changes to a PDF. You need to go back to the source document and re-export. Yeah, it. like like a, a box. The, a lot of the boxes I design are big PDF and PSD files where there are many, many, many multiple layers um, and, and um, I'm, I, uh, you'll, you'll be amazed how many people will, will not, like the, they'll hand, what they'll hand to people is like a flattened version of that and mm-hmm. it's unmodifiable afterward. Right? And you're like, but we got, you know, whatever, this, the ISBN is wrong yeah. or something and then yeah. like, you don't want to have to go back to your freelancer for yeah. like a minor change. And for years the tradition was that you would always like, you would do up your, your PSD file and then you would flatten it and you would stick it into your layout file and these days, with, with computers being as powerful they are, it really doesn't matter. I just leave my yeah. PSD file and link yeah. that in, yeah. and it's much easier to make dynamic edits and stuff. But that's what you want to get. Basically, you're going to get a big disk, and you may not even understand everything is on there. But right. just as that's long as fine. you have the assurance from them that you yeah. can hand it to another graphic designer, and they'll understand it. Yeah, like I had to take the um, the AEG's first the, the fourth edition book, which is a freaking work of art. It's a beautiful book. Um, yeah, but I had to take that and turn it into a workable, reproducible layout. And I had to take I, and I had all of their source files. And it was still a bit of a deciphering job, but at least I had everything I needed. You had all the assets. I had all the assets. I could take what was there and work with it and manipulate it. So, so. I would just say that uh, for the contract thing, uh, super, super important. But also, depending on your relationship with this person, it could be a formal contract where you either like talk to a lawyer or go to a site and get a boiler, boilerplate yeah. hire for... Just from Jacobson, who Justin. is a lawyer <coughs> uh, and a gamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a... I want to say it's like... Law Geek or Geek Law? Uh, geek, law. geek Law. Law of the Geek. 
Something like that. Something like that. If you search for Justin Jacobson, he law, and law, yeah. Yeah. you'll get that. And he has, he has uh, like downloadable yeah. boilerplate freelancer contracts. And those like they're pretty good. Yeah, and they're pretty good, and that's totally cool. Um, but in terms of when we say contract is less, I mean, at least in the world I, I live in, it's less about having some kind of enforceable go-to-court kind of thing, mm-hmm. and more about having a document that you've both read and both agreed. Here's the here's what here's what I'm doing for you, and here's what you're doing for me. Right. Right. And that can be a, a a single page. You know, I am hiring you to do bullet points. I expect them at this date. Here's the revisions. I will pay you this much by this date. Right. Yeah. Both of you acknowledge yeah. that you've received this document in some paper trail fashion. And I thought I'll just put in a quick plug for um, FreshBooks if anybody uses it. It's a great way for tracking your freelance stuff. And for invoices. In, in electronic invoicing. And, you know, as far as, you know, always getting a contract, it seems silly on the, on the surface of it. Especially but if it's, it's like um, a friend. Yeah. Like, but hey, this is this for me. Well, the sad reality yeah. of it is that friendships and relationships have been destroyed because of these right. things, these yeah. kinds of yeah. things. With not having a contract in place and not managing these expectations yeah. up front. Yeah. Uh, cool. So let's make sure to talk about some uh, board game design. Yeah, well, well. Can I just ask one yeah, more? Yeah, sorry. Let's follow what, up with any other um, questions. A good uh, resource for me to go to to identify freelancers <coughs> who are interested in working with uh, guys with a low budget, <laughs> <laughs> but who, who I can you know who I can trust and who are going to do a good job and. Yeah. That's uh, that's, that's <laughs> tricky. Um, there aren't a lot of like central. I mean, if uh, if you're you're actually starting a company, you can always try to get on the uh, the Weasel list, which is a an industry list that has that sort of stuff. Is RPT Freelance still uh, functional? No, I got some artists through that. Yeah. Like last year, I would a couple. I would say um, that. Um, sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's tough. There's there's not really a central spot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even like to look in it. I mean, it would, be, it would be not a lot of work to just put up a page that was like freelance graphic designers in the game industry. Yeah. Just in terms of people who we already know about. Yeah. Um, I would say that you you should leverage your existing kind of communities. Like if you're a member of Board Game Geek, for example, mm-hmm. I'm sure there you know there are. I, I actually, I mean, I'm a member, but I'm not particularly active. But I'm sure <laughs> there are aspects of the site about like, you know, hey, recommend me a board game freelancer. In, in the back of Greater right. uh, Games Industry. There's like a vendor services listing. Like they're also just not a comprehensive list, but you're going to find printers and uh, freelance guys, and lawyers that specialize in game stuff. And you, uh, you might actually another thing to do is just find a game you like, yeah. look who graphic designed it, Google them, and see if they have a yeah. site. Right. I mean, that, I mean, that's actually probably the quickest way. Some, oh, yeah. Sometimes it'll honestly be, oh, look, they're a staff guy and maybe work for that company. Right. But sometimes it's just going to be, oh, hey, look that guy's stuff, yeah. and he has the body of work. Any staff guy, you send them an email and like, Don't hey, do it. <laughs> who's, who's your buddy who doesn't have a job? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Every right. graphic designer knows other graphic designers yeah. who won't. And work. you know, ninety <laughs> yes. percent of graphic designers who do have jobs still do freelance work on yeah. the side yeah. anyway. So it's like the yeah, like I do my day job and I do freelance work as well. So the uh, I'd say you know leverage any communities that you're a part of uh, to get recommendations. Um, talk to people that you personally know are in the publishing space or reach out to people like obviously um, you know I think anyone here you know if someone sent me an email was like hey I want to publish this thing can you recommend me some freelancers like I would recommend some people um, I'd have to take a minute to kind of see you know who's still freelancing because also people stop freelancing people or people get long term gigs and they don't take, pick up outside of work or whatever do you, so guys have, do you guys have cards with you that you can pass yeah, along sure. to just to yep. I know also I do terrible things I broke three years. Yeah, um, so, 
So let's talk about board games. We've got about 15 minutes left. Let's make sure we cover that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that covers kind of the, the main attack vectors for that. Uh, yeah, so board game stuff. Um, so uh, what are you what are you looking at? Are you looking like a board and cards and stuff? Or uh, what's you know, the, the current one is pretty much just a board and pieces. Um, what kind of pieces? Uh, yeah. They're just like little round tokens. The only thing is they've got to show like a, a specific direction. So it could easily be like token with sticker right. on or something. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. what we've got yeah. for like the prototype. Right. Or it could be like some kind of little like triangular or like square with a notch, right, piece of right, little right. wooden token or something yeah. like that. And so it's like ours is kind of like a Greek theme, so I've got like a whole thing, you know, based on like Greek pottery and sort of the colors of the wool and that everything. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just cool. thinking like just general stuff of like, you what know, was the best practices or. Okay. Or there was a board game that actually did pottery. They actually oh, yeah, did the ceramic, ceramic yeah, pieces. like actual ceramic pieces, and I think they had wood pieces for the wood, and ceramic there was a stone. That's a so, like they, they, high production value. High production values, <laughs> but oh, that's. I'm sure it's awesome. Well, I, will, I will say, I think if you're printing board games these days, you're probably not necessarily probably going to end up printing in China right now if you're doing a large run. If you're doing a large run, I think so. Are, are you, were you more interested in talking about production stuff or about actual like the actual graphic design layout? The actual graphic design. Okay, cool. so let's talk about that as well because yeah. production stuff is a whole other conversation. Sure, that is. That's a whole um, other conversation. So, and I think these, and so we'll talk about some stuff, and it's pretty just kind of basic stuff that's actually pretty broadly applicable, I think. Um, so your board, right, is where people are going to be looking at most of the time when they're interacting with your with your game. Um, like how in a game actually, and here's an interesting point, in a role-playing game, generally, you're actually not looking at the book while you're playing, right? I'm not sitting here and playing like this. I'm, I probably have like a character sheet and there's probably some stuff, maybe a reference sheet. Um, so let's talk about the stuff you're actually looking at while you're sitting down and playing this game. Right. Um, and I would say, so you have a couple uh, considerations. You have the consideration of your... Uh, thematic experience, right? It sounds like you have a strong theme, this Olympic or Greek, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so you want to communicate that probably through the imagery, in is one way through the art, uh, the, the representational, like, hey, look, this, there's robots involved, you know, because there's robots on the cover. Um, but uh, you can also communicate. You also can communicate that through your font choice, um, because you can get more of a Greek-looking type. No papyrus. Um, no, but don't no, no. <laughs> uh, the be there. Do not do <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to want to avoid that one as well. Lethos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so those are kind of the, uh, so you, you can kind of communicate your things to that. You can, color palette sounds like you're already thinking about. Um, like, directionality is probably a thing. Probably, yeah. So, and then you're you need to prioritize, and then so you have the theme that's coming up through the through the, the imagery, um, and then you have the actual information that you need people to be interacting with on the on the table, and that's where things like yeah, what direction, especially for board games, what direction is stuff facing, right? Are you assuming that people are sitting around a square board and you're the person on each side? So then, are you going to create uh, the the information facing each of them so no one has to read across the board? Or is it something that's simple enough that you can have a central place for this information um, that other everyone can reference? Um, 
like the one that comes to mind of is uh, something like uh, Ticket to Ride, which has a very clear direction because it's a map of the United States. Right, that's so, a map. So, so you're looking yeah. at it like this, and it sits on the right. table, and if the person's on this side, everything's upside down. Right, that, and but, so that's actually uh, and something where they've chosen. So this is all about it's all about trade-offs, right? And so that's something where for Ticket to Ride. They've traded off this ease of, of sitting around a, a table. They've yeah. essentially made a three-sided board because sitting on that opposite side sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when we play with four players, we have two people sit on the long side and a person on your short side because... So they've chosen that... And honestly, that works better because then you put the cards at the top. Right. So, <laughs> right, so they've given up the functionality of having the fourth side of the board, essentially, in order to have their the presentation of the information and the flow of gameplay all be in the same physical plane. Yeah, Monopoly is probably like a good counterexample of that, where right. Monopoly is all the, whatever side you're on, the stuff you're facing is facing you, right. and the other information is not. And their other everybody's everybody has everybody is center has a has a center row seat in that game. Right, yeah. and everyone's got equal there. Yeah. And I've noticed myself. I notice I do this myself when I'm playing something like Dominion. Um, I'm, you know, being the graphic designer kind of guy, uh, I pay attention to things like which way the cards are facing when we lay them down on the table, and my friends don't care. Yeah. Right. But I'm very anal about that kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah, and they get and they, and they yell at me for, for turning all the cards. So you're actually going to be influencing how people are acting around this table by how you're facing stuff and how people need to sit to read the information, right? And you can use that to your advantage or you can keep it in mind when you're laying it out just so that you're not doing something really weird, like where everyone is going to be kind of trying to read this thing down in the corner even though that was the best place to be. Or or everybody's playing the game like lined up like us. Right, exactly. Um, What you come down to is there's there's an amazing difference uh, between like RPG publishing or RPG design and board game design and the big thing is this interface. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. with an RPG, I'm going to read a book, and maybe I'm going to prep some stuff, but then I'm putting the material away. I'm right. I'm putting this down, I'll have it here on the table, and I'm actually uh, playing my uh, character sheet. Character sheets versus Seven Wonders. Sure. There's, so. a, there's some interface, yeah. but with a board game, you are you are interacting with objects, and you are looking at those objects the whole time. Right. The whole um, time, you're like you're sitting like this, right, the whole time. So I would argue... Uh, you know, I was joking with Nathan earlier that uh, you know people are going to be coming to this and say like, oh, why is graphic design important to my RPG? Like, well, it's kind of not. Right. Blasphema. I mean, <laughs> ulti- <laughs> I, mean, I, I will. I will. I'm over a certain bare minimum. Judge of... any ugly looking game. Right. But. Well, then they're the different. End, it doesn't matter too much. No, RPG is about information design. Right. Yeah. So okay. with a board game. It's super really, important. Really, really matters. Right. Yes. Like you could have a great board game, but if I'm the mechanics can be awesome. ugly and I got to sit there for an hour, I'm going to be turned off a bit. Right. That's not going to sell it. From a retailer standpoint, mm-hmm. if a customer comes in and flips through an RPG in ten seconds without reading a word that's in it, mm-hmm. look at it on the inside. It will be a big determining factor. Yeah, yeah, sure, that's true. sure. That is a true statement. RPG books yeah. are gorgeous and amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But um, pedestrian graphic design will not ruin an RPG. Pedestrian. Right. Yeah. Pedestrian yeah. graphic design can ruin a board game. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, there, there are examples of, of games transcending that, like the original Arkham Horror. You know, you, you look at first edition Arkham Horror versus what we got nowadays, and it's it's night and day. But it was popular enough that people played it, and you know. It, yeah. Right. And so that's part of the revision process, right? Is once you so you have your your okay. So I'm just going to mention a couple other quick like graphic design kind of yeah. principal things. Uh, so priority establishment. You say you do web stuff, yeah. right? So you're probably used to this idea of priority. Right. Um, but so uh, this is actually a really great example. Like the priority on this page is really kind of clear what you're trying to kind of take trying to take away from this this 
this assemblage, right? Like there's this idea, there's eight of whatever, right? You can see the giant eight. But something really draw, draws your eye. Oh, right. There's something here. about this word, you know, he's really emphasizing, so it's the no press RPG anthology. So like this no is saying, it's like, it's a declarative statement about there's some kind of negatory kind of like, I'm in your face about what this is all about thing that's emphasized by the size of this particular word, right? And then there's a cool little logo that you have to kind of look at and like see all the cool little details that can draw you in. So when you look at this, you have a first read, right, where you pick out the, 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 the couple things that pop out to you for whatever, you know, they don't necessarily need to mean something in particular, but they pop out. Then you have a second read where you're like, you're in, and so now you're like, what does this actually say? What information am I getting? And then this particular cover has a third read, I would argue, um, possibly a fourth, where you're looking at this logo because it's this cool little thing and you want to determine what's going on. And then maybe there's a fourth read where you want to read this little text and see what exactly you're getting yourself into. So a board game, I think, has that same thing where, so you look at the board and you're like, what do you actually see first? What's going <clears> to, <throat> and I would argue that unless you have a really good reason not to, what you see first should be some core, the core substance of whatever you're doing, right? Are you moving around a track on the board? Your track should probably be a first read item because um, it's, you know, the, the, emphasizing the importance of this of this process. Um, do you have some particularly important, like, a, I don't know, a turn order or, like, what you do in each turn? It's probably a very important thing if you're going to print that on the board as opposed to having a reference card or something. Um, and then are there third read items or, or reference bits which you can intentionally put lower on the priority list because you're only looking for them when you're looking for them. Right. As opposed to when they, you want them to pop out. Yeah, you don't want them all the time, but they're there when you need them. Right. Um, like Red Dragon Inn is, you know, it's a card game, but you have a board in front of you that's got the turn order. Yeah. So you can look down and see that. And then a lot of games solve this with putting all the super, you know, putting all the functional stuff on a board and then putting the, like, reference stuff on a card or reference stuff in the in the book so that you're only yeah. picking it up when you actually want to need to reference it. But that can be counterproductive too with the wrong sort of board design because if all the information is over here and I'm sitting over there, it's not really all that useful for me. Right. So. Um, well, that's why putting like a like a cheat sheet on a yeah, card. Yeah, doing the multiple uh, cards. Uh, school for Girls yeah. has cards that you can hand out to people that have yeah. the, the turn order on them. And so you can so you can create priority by size like this pretty much does. Uh, you can create priority by color, um, you know, which colors pop against a background color or whatever. You, uh, and this is all also this, this idea of contrast, right? You contrasting two things makes one more or less important than the other. In many cases, it draws your eye to a certain place first. Um, and you can experiment with this by taking two things, making one huge and bold, and making the other small and italic, for example, and then just switch those styles between the two and see if it's actually transmitting the information in a different way. Um, and you can kind of figure out you know, where that where that is. I would argue that the name of the game usually doesn't need to be on your game board. <laughs> like if you're playing the game, unless you're unless you're you're part of your kind of overall strategy is that when people are walking by and they see people having a lot of fun with this game, they can just kind of eye check what they're playing and not have to talk to anyone and move on. At the very, at the very least, the name does not have to dominate the board. It's not it be even, like, boop, down here in the corner or something right, like that. Or something. Because, you know, obviously, they, they know game. what they're playing. So. Right. right, right. Uh, and it, same thing with the character sheets in RPGs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're RPG sheets that, you know, character sheets that, that don't have the game logo on them. Yeah. yeah. 
Or like doing it with a logo. That's the sales tactic. Word map, take the word take mark. the character sheet away. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. Find yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah. Right. but um, and I'd say also the board can generate the mood of the game quite yeah. sufficiently. Like that, the, um, if you have wacky fonts and mm-hmm. oh hey, it's little cartoon Romans with pots. It's a right. different game than you know if you have the very classic thing, the stuff from the right. side orange of the game. and black, orange and black, like, and yeah, yeah, super yeah. chiseled looking. imagery or whatever. Yeah, and that, that is going to. That sort of stuff has a very strong effect, this is my art director second out, on how the game is played. I mean, if I'm playing a game of pottery construction and it's very, that orange and black are serious, I'm like, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to build the best pot. It's great. You know, if, I'm, if I'm a wacky little holistic guy who's making thoughts, it's going to, the mood around the table will be very different the game will be played differently. Yeah. So. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we've gotten is like, a, you know, our game is technically like, we're calling it an abstract strategy game. Sure. Mm-hmm. And every publisher we've talked to is like, oh, we don't. Nobody buys abstract strategy games. Then stop like, calling it that. They don't call it that. <laughs> like, just, just call it a strategy game. Yeah. More like little dudes. Just no, like, if, if it no, don't. Even, I, I just what you call. I mean, the publisher doesn't have time to fully analyze your game. Yeah, they're not going to vet all your components to make sure they're abstract enough. Yeah, yeah. If, but, but if you come up and tell them a category that they've determined in their heads doesn't sell, just stop calling it that. Just say, I have this game. Yeah, just trick them. It's a board game. Yeah, it's a board game. Or a strategy game because yeah. you probably need to position yourself somewhere. Well, if anyone has been in any of the discussions with Jason Morningstar this weekend, um, he, he's pointed out that he very consciously avoided the word role-playing game when he yeah. put Fiasco out. It is just a game. Yeah. What yeah. kind of game it is, it's up to you to determine that. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm pretty selective about what, what tag I put on what, what game, cause just depending on audience and also just my personal kind of like whatever artistic sensibility. Like some stuff I put out, I call it a fiction game because that's what it's about, and some stuff's just a game, some stuff's yeah. a role-playing game. Yeah. What, what you call things does matter, because but I, and honestly, it matters the other way too. If we put out like the Dragon Age fiction game, we would have gotten smacked upside the head. That would have been, <laughs> been super weird. It would have been a terrible idea. Really, yeah. I recently but, changed the tagline from the family because um, it was it was it was a role playing game, but it's not. It's it's it fits more in that fiasco headspace. So I call it yeah. a story. All right. So I hate to break this off, but we yeah, passed our time. Do we have any last like? Super, super burning questions that we can talk about for like three minutes before the next panel. Needs before to, we get kicked out. Before we get kicked out, or are we cool? Right. Hopefully, thanks for coming, guys. Thank I you really so much.